Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop, located in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sitting next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan? So, I ran into a Marine officer a couple years ago. I had taken the family out to the beach, went out on the boat, and uh, hit the sandbar up. And this guy pulls up next to me. He's got, like, a water carpet and all the cool toys and, like, really nice boats. So we start talking, and... We're just bullshitting. He's a Marine. And I, I want to say he was down from or just got back to like the, the Lejeune area from being stationed at the Marine Corps barracks in Washington. And we got to talking and we're talking back and forth. And he starts bringing up a name that is familiar to me from time, my time in the service over at ITB, Infantry Training Battalion. Uh, and he says this name. He says, yeah, he's talking about this, this Marine. He's like, it's one of the best Marines I've ever ever had under my command and just an awesome dude and he's, he's like talking philosophical and i'm like man i feel like i should know this person sounds like a great dude and then he says finney and i'm like finney james the philosopher finney he's like yeah the philosopher and i'm like oh i know james finney i served with him and so we talked a little bit and um it was it was awesome because I already knew that James Finney was a good fucking Marine and one that I aligned with. And uh, on top of that, I knew you were at the Marine, you know, barracks in Washington. And uh, we had, you know, social media back and forth a little bit about leadership, a little bit about some other things. And I was like, oh, I know him, blah, 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 blah. So long story short, James Finney comes back to the uh, Lejeune area. And I was like, I told Matt, I'm like, dude, we got to, I got to ask him if he wants to come on the podcast and say some words because we think a lot alike. And I know that you had been through it, uh, or that, you know, that you've been through it in the Marine Corps. And sometimes these days it's hard to tell who's been through it and who hasn't been through it, especially as a retired, you know, being out and not actively in it anymore and knowing what's going on. So, uh, both of us laughed about the uh, philosopher thing and we continued on our, our time at the beach, but, uh, here we are six weeks later, or six years, not six weeks, about six years later, I think, six or six or seven years, something like that, since we served, and here tonight, I appreciate you coming on, welcome, we're going we're gonna to talk, uh, talk with James tonight a little bit about the Marine Corps, uh, about, about your career, about, uh, we're going to probably talk about Sangin a little bit, and some, some Afghanistan tales, maybe some Iraq tales, and then, uh, and then maybe talk a little bit about... Um, you know, current events and where the Marine Corps is headed, some different changes that they have going on that, uh, and we spoke offline about this, but we'll get into the, you know, a little bit more of the details of some of their experimental battalions or companies and things that are going on within the ranks. So again, welcome. And I appreciate you coming back, coming by and chilling with us for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I, I get called a lot of things and I'm philosopher. I don't know if I agree with, I'm, I'm just a dude doing dude stuff, dude stuff. Well, <laughs> that's one way to put it. Uh, but philosopher is another way to put it. That's the way I like to put it. So, uh, yeah. So, um, I think, I, I think it's best, uh, 
full disclosure, I, I try to learn as much as I can about leadership because I'm writing another book about leadership. And so I wrote a list of names down of all the people I want to talk to and all the books I want to read. Your name's on that list. You've come over. So I think if I want to understand you as a leader, it's important for me to know your upbringing, uh, childhood, uh, things of that. So I want to take it back to there and uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, family, siblings, parents, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I was born at a young age. You'd uh, have to ask my mother. She was there. Uh, but I was born... Like in no- you were young when you were born? I was young when I was born, <laughs> yes. I was born at a young age. Gotcha. I, I don't remember, but uh, they said there's a lot of screaming. I don't know. Uh, I was born in Northern California, out near Sacramento, Foothills. Okay. So I grew up, uh, both parents in the home, uh, both great parents, going to church on Sundays, doing, you know, hood rat things with my friends when you know we, we thought you know god's not watching uh grew up playing a little bit of soccer started you know doing the little league thing playing baseball uh hit high school uh ran uh track and cross country and i mean full disclosure my, my dad was like hey like you, you got to keep playing a sport like you're you're athletic you're not like a star but you're athletic like it it's worth it to continue to do like organized mm. team sports and i was like all right hey that's fair and my brother's our older brother's already running track and he's running cross country. And I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do. Cause I don't know anything about track and field. And somebody made a joke and was like, well, all the hot girls are in long distance. So just run long distance. And so I found myself on long distance and they weren't lying. Funny so, how girls go. Funny how girls can, uh, make decisions that way for you. Isn't it? <laughs> the, the ruin of man. I don't think it, I don't think it ever changes. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we grew up, our small town is right on the uh, edge of the American River Canyon. So, like, I, I regretted the decision as soon as we started running long distance because, <laughs> basically, uh, the old Wasn't track coach, flat? Not flat. Like, North Carolina is hikes out here just a walk in the park. There, like, running, hey, you're doing canyon repeats. Like, there's a, there's a race called Stagecoach every year. It's two miles, like, essentially straight up, like, 45-degree angle. Mm-hmm. And you just hate your life for two miles. Yep. And so, you Good know. Good training. Yeah, growing up in high school and, like, just running. It was like, holy rusted metal, Batman. Like, yeah. this is. Bad like, times coming. Yeah, bad times coming. Yeah. But. Uh, oh, mean, you said sibling. You, you had an older brother? Uh, yeah, I've got uh, uh, two sisters and a brother. Okay. Uh, older sister, older brother, myself, younger sister. So, one of four. I'm yeah. one of four original. I have like seven or eight now. My dad didn't stop ever. So, I, but I love it. Hey, more power to him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Starting a clan. Yeah. But uh, went to high school, graduated high school. Uh, basically, uh, my parents were like, hey, like, try college out. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And in my head, I was like, nope. And so I, <laughs> I picked a local community college to appease the, uh, appease the, the, the patriarchy. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to you know, do this. Go to the local community college. I spent more time not in class than I did in class. Mm. Uh, and then end of my first semester, I showed up to my finals and I sat down in psychology. And I looked around. And I looked down at the test and I was like, I have no idea what any of this is. And I was like, <laughs> I, I quite literally like got up and I looked at the the teacher and I was like, Hey, I'm I'm not gonna waste your time. Like, I'm sorry. I <laughs> just like walked out. I was like, I'm just. I'm not doing this. This isn't my forte. Yeah, so I left, and my parents were like, you didn't take your finals? And I was like, no, I, I didn't. They're like, you failed all your classes? And I was like, yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> like, what's your plan? And uh, it, one of the things growing up, I always, you know, my parents had like three and a half acres, which, I mean, is not all that much land in the grand scheme of things. Like, we had some neighbors that had a hundred and some odd acres. Mm-hmm. But, like, my parents had like three and a half acres, and we'd go down there. We'd play paintball. We'd play army, you know, play, whatever. Running around in the woods and growing up that way, like, mm-hmm. I used to go to the public library and check out like 
people are checking out, you know, Hardy Boys books and whatnot. I'm checking out, you know, a Navy SEAL books and this and that. And like, by no means do I have delusions of grandeur that I'm, you know, David Goggins or something like Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. But it was like, I was interested in military stuff. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Playing military games growing up and just kind of like. What's your first, when when was your first memory of thinking, maybe maybe I could do that. Maybe I want to do that. So the first time I'd ever heard of a Marine was I had a youth pastor when I was like, probably in like second grade, maybe. And we went over to his house for a barbecue and we're like hanging out. And he had, when I come to find out now in, in my line of work, uh, I was like, he has a bazooka. And he, he, had, he, had, a, he had a law, yeah. a fiber, a, a fired law chilling in his living room. And we thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. We're like, oh man. I'm like, oh, so you were like in the army, you were a soldier. And, he's, and he like was respectfully and politely. <laughs> I'm not a ups, soldier. Upset. He's <laughs> like, oh, no, I'm a Marine. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know what that is. That's what I said, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like, that's the same thing. He's like, it's not. And he didn't get like super deep into it. And then yeah. my dad, we go home, my dad's trying to explain it to me. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on right now. I'm in like <laughs> second grade. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, again, reading books growing up and like realizing there is a difference and being like, oh, that's pretty cool. Mm. And people ask me all the time, like, why'd you choose the Marine Corps? And I'm like, I, f- I feel like the Army will take just about anybody. I mean, and. Like that's not a stab at the army. It's just it's different it's a force, much different larger requirements, po- yeah. much larger population. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we joke that the army's a me too job. You go home, you go to Applebee's, and you know somebody's like, "Hey, I'm in the army," and everybody else is like, "Oh, me too, me too, me too." And <laughs> like somebody's, "Hey, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm a marine," and you hear somebody go, "Oh, I know a marine." Mm-hmm. It's not a me too. It's oh, I know a guy. Or, or you hear or the one I was guy gonna in the go back, in like, the marines, but yeah, that something happened. <laughs> If a drill instructor would have gotten in my face, uh huh, sure I would have, I would have, you wouldn't have done shit. You got your ass beat. Your eyes would have gotten real big. What year would you have come in? I'll tell you exactly what would have happened to you. Uh, right. <laughs> but I mean, that was just something that I, I like looked at it, and when I when I decided like I'm not doing these finals, I like walked out, and I was like, man, hmm. what do I do now? Because yep. I can't go home and be like, I don't have a plan. Yeah, I right. have no plan. So I like drove up the road, and I was like, oh look, a recruiting station. And I rolled up and it's like, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. I like roll up and I'm tugging on the door and this guy comes out and he's in sweats and he's like, can I help you? And I was like, uh, yeah, I uh, want to talk to a recruiter, I guess. And he was like, look, man, it's four o'clock. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm about to go home. Yeah, no, you like, don't I, understand. I can't I already go met home. my quota for the month. <laughs> right. And so that's what's funny is like, I, I look roll back you at into this. Next month. I look back at this. I'm like, this guy must have been a belt fed recruiter because like, you look at guys complaining about making mission now, like yeah. getting their numbers. And he was just like, come back tomorrow. And he yeah, was but not this concerned. Was, this was 2006, if I'm... Yeah, this was 2005, yeah. So, I mean, uh, the number of people pouring into the service post-2001 yeah, for damn near a decade was... They weren't having trouble meeting mission, I don't think, for a while right there in that time frame. You had Phantom Fury going on in Fallujah where a lot of people exited the ranks either in a under a flag or because they were disgusted at what they had to do or maybe they just didn't want part of that. A lot of people stayed too. Like my platoon sergeant and Marja was a was a Phantom Fury guy. Uh we leave his name off, but a mutual friend of ours uh that we worked with. But yeah, a lot of people got out after that. A lot of people went down. And then you're then that they start combat replacing and, and combat promoting different people. I mean it was a time when it got wild. It, it was, got spicy. <laughs> Sometimes things get weird. Got spicy. Yeah, check. So uh so you grow up with older brother, older sister, younger sister, both parents in the house. Uh 
you said church, and I'm assuming Protestant, a Protestant yeah, religion. Yeah, yeah just Nazarene. Yeah, Nazarene's what I was raised, actually. That's that's, that's cool. I was, and you said California. Yep. That's wild. Yeah. Like, I, are you a Mormon? Or I, I didn't know. Well, it's, it's a it's, lot of different things going on out there. It's funny because people, like, meet me, and, like, you're from California? Like, most people assume I'm, like, I don't know, somewhere in the You keep the, the bro dude talk, and, and, and so that's, like... yeah. About the only thing about you that that screams California, <laughs> bro. Your, your home state is in shambles right now. I mean, we don't have to talk about no it. No comment. But it's in shambles and it's burning. Somebody said, "Do you see how much of California is on fire?" And I was like, "I know God has a sense of humor, and uh, that was horrible." And but a lot of it's due to just mismanagement and. So my dad actually natural catastrophe. My dad actually sent me a picture the other day. I said we would run up and down the American River Canyon. It's on fire right the now. The whole thing. Which fire is that? Uh, colder, I think like the colder fire. Th- that's a little bit farther north. Okay. But, uh, I think. Yeah, I they're out of control the over there. They need yeah. some rain. They need some rain from God for sure. Yeah. Need something. That a new governor. They, there's a lot of things that they need. Louisiana can give them rain if they'd like. That they need desperately. <laughs> yeah, it's Louisiana. A loan. Yeah. It's a loan. Yeah. They need like a Cat Six hurricane to eat the West Coast. That's something. what they need. That would be wash a it all down. That would yeah. be a typhoon. <sighs> Whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I feel bad for. Uh, for the people out there, I mean, they just had the fires that just cut just at what year last year or two years ago. That it's, it's almost every year. It's it like, seems like it's every year that it gets out of control right now. Yeah, I mean, there's there's songs about California burning. <laughs> there's country songs about it. It's so common that like it's it's a, it's a season. <laughs> there's it's country songs season. about it. That's when you've established like you've made it all the way. This to, will be to full frontal. That song will be relevant forever. <laughs> oh yeah, it's always yeah, gonna yeah, burn. That's, that's a thing. Yeah. Okay. So. Um. So you dip into the Marine Corps, you ship to the Yellow Footprints. Yeah, I basically uh, so I hit the recruiter up, uh, and I was like, "Hey, like, come back the next Is it day." Like his easiest recruitment fucking ever. Uh, easily, like this I. This wa- is what I want to do. I walked in and I was like, "Hey, man, like you told me to come back today," and he's like, "Yep, sit down." He's like, "Hey, do you have anything that disqualifies you?" Like goes through the list, and I was like, "Nope." And he's like, "All right, cool. What do you want to do?" I was like, "I want to be in the infantry," and he was like, "Okay." Uh, he's like, "When do you want to ship?" I was like, how soon can I ship? And he was Today? like, and he was like, all right, when, uh, what was your ASVAB score? And I was like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> and he was like, great. I didn't do my finals. I came here yeah, from there. <laughs> right. And so I was like, I like, I have no idea what that is. He's like, all right, great. Seven o'clock tomorrow morning, be here. It's like, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. I'm like, this has turned into a pain. I didn't realize how much hurry up and wait there was in the Marine Corps. You learned that day. So right. I come back the next day, take the ASVAB. They write the old score on a sticky note. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I give it to him. And he was like, you want to be in the infantry and i was like sure do yeah like there's no other jobs right like that's all there is (laughs) isn't that what the marines do and yeah so he's like okay he's like yes it is the only job and it was funny because he was like all right you're an idiot and i was like i don't know what he's talking he said you're an idiot yeah i was like awesome i was like okay and he was a grunt and then like i was like all right that's why he's allowed to say those things as a recruiter oh all right idiot (laughs) do you want me to tell you anything about it nope okay roger that here's another one yeah yeah. And it was basically, it was like, hey, let's go run three miles. I was like, great, I run cross country. Like, this is not, like, walk in the park. Should yeah. I stay behind you, or can I pass you? You want me to set the pace choke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was probably, like, three weeks later, shipped out. And I was yeah. like, all right, like, I guess this is it. And so, okay, you go to boot camp. I always, it's hard for me to have, to tell boot camp. I had good boot camp stories, but my dad built, marine corps boot camp up to be so bad that when i got there i didn't have a problem i was i was a squad leader from 
day like four through graduation. I was a meritorious graduate, uh, a distinguished graduate. And uh, it wasn't hard for me. There were funny things to me. There were things that I realized about myself, great things. You know, I learned how to, how to dig deep inside, how to go internal when I needed to, how to just shut up in color. I mean, I learned a lot of things, but it was not like, and I seen people struggle and have like uh, a rough time with things. Just wasn't me. But I always love getting the stories because it's like mm, everybody had a different story that they experienced. I mean, I can either confirm nor deny whether or not I've seen, you know, individuals do manual of arms with mattresses. And, you know, <laughs> I genuinely, I felt bad. I, I look back. How I do look you back. Pour, how do you port arms and mattresses? Great question. I'll ne- show you. Next slide. Yeah. <laughs> but I look back and I genuinely feel bad for my drill instructors now that I know what I know. Because, yeah. like, allegations. And even at that point, it was like, you don't allegate, allegate and you don't say that, like, you know, a drill instructor did this or did that. And we had one get sat down the first week. And so then it's like... A drill instructor? Oh, yeah. He got sat down, couldn't come anywhere near us, and it was like, crap. And he was, you know, I don't know whether he was charged with it or, or you know, I don't really care. No I hope, I hope he did mind games. Oh, no, I ran, in, was, I ran into him a few years later. And, yeah, I and, served with some of mine. Yeah, I ran into him a few years later, and he was, he was a staff sergeant at that point. He was a sergeant when I had first met him, so I was like, okay, like, oh, that's, he was, that's a good you, time. You were his first class. Probably. That's what that means. Probably. Usually. Well, at that but time, he, maybe not. So he got sat down, and then... And somebody else got sat down, like second phase, and then our third hat uh, got a hernia, and so this guy's legit, like walking around, like holding himself together, like, <laughs> and it's him and the senior, the rest of the class, and this guy would just come out, and you could tell he was just so mad because he never got to go home, yeah, and everyone just kind of like, we're all going to die, yeah, he's going to kill us. He didn't have to yell, like he did, you know, he did his drill instructor, but it was like he didn't have to. He could have been like. Please get up. And everybody would just be like, we're Snap. done. We're done. Like, <laughs> Eyes open. Like, he's just going to kill us because he has nothing else to lose. Like at this point, that's the only he break. He hates his he's life. Gonna... He's in a mass amount of pain. He hasn't slept in three weeks. That's the only break he's going to get is if he gets fired. We think he's a machine. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to be fired, so he's going to hurt us. The guy was a machine. I got mad respect for those guys. I, they're so high energy all the time. I couldn't have done it, man. Like I don't. It's not that I couldn't have done it. If the Marine Corps told me to do it, I went and done it. I'd, I'd, I'd have figured it out. Right there I don't you. get off on yelling at people. Never did. I would rather talk to you, explain to you a situation, ask you a few questions, and maybe those questions make you feel stupid. Or maybe they make me feel stupid, but that's the way I'd rather do it. Just to yell at you and make you do things. like. And there are people that are built for that. I would not have done as good as them. It's just too high range. energy in every situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, like I've... If the, again, same as you. If the Marine Corps said this is what you're doing, okay, sure, yep, I'll, like, hey, I'll the, figure it out. They're called orders, not asks. Got yep. it. I'm yep. all over it, and yep. I will. I will go until I die. Yep. Like, got it. You want me to yell at a tree for six weeks? I'll yell at a damn tree. I'll blow my vocal cords out. That tree, I'll, I'll, I'll make it feel real silly. But <laughs> there are a lot of people who long to do that school and do that job, and, they and can I'm have not it. one of them. They can have it. Yep, I want you to do that because if you want to do that, you're going to be better at that job. If I go in there every day. And I feel crushed because I have to demean people on a minutely basis. I'm not going to enjoy that. What's that term? Talent management? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put people yeah. where they want to be so they'll do a better job and product is better. Odd. Productivity goes better. It goes up when you enjoy your job 100%. That's so strange. Yeah. It's so strange why regular companies don't do it in the masses. Yeah. But, but hey, uh, not a regular company owner. Okay, so uh, what's the most significant thing? that happened to you in boot camp or that you experienced somebody else going through. Uh, like for me, a kid called Skittles pissed himself online 
because he had to use the potty and you can't use the potty unless you do a certain amount of pull-ups and he couldn't do them. So we had the hat that didn't care and he just pissed himself. I think, I think it was just seeing guys, like you said, that just straight up not having a good time. Like they just made a mistake. But not even that. Like, yeah, they shouldn't be there. That's what I mean. That's yeah, the mistake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a guy who is, you know, he was the guide and he just realized like, I should not be here. And the dude just started, hey, I'm a chronic bedwetter now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, confident it was deliberate to it get was out. it was a i don't belong here and it was like okay like at the end of the day again now knowing what i know i'm like dude i can appreciate that because if you don't want to be here at boot camp yeah. i didn't want you in the fight <laughs> yeah right mm-hmm. i ain't trying to have you next to me when uh when we're chewing on dirt and smiling and laughing like, yeah, yeah yeah with clp stains on our lips uh, yeah that's the, not the guy you want with you you want the guy that was a little bit unhinged and when you're trying to thought figure it out, was fun getting murdered on the quarter deck uh, and right the guy who's giggling <laughs> yes sir <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that guy. The masochist. His name was Rod- Rodriguez. That was his name in my boot camp. I want the guy who wants to figure out how long you can shoot a 240 using Copenhagen as, as a lubricant. Like, that's the guy I want. Like, like, all right, man. Yeah. Let's get weird. Yeah, let's get weird. Let's get spicy. All right. Uh, so, childhood, why? The biggest reason for joining was was what? So, was I mean, there a catalyst? Uh, so 9-11 was definitely a factor. Uh, 9-11 was definitely a factor. Uh, I was a freshman in high school. Uh, my, my mom came into my room. We were about to get up for school anyways. I'm like, she's waking me up early. Like, what's going on? And she's like, get out of here. And we see the first tower fall. I think the second one fell right when we were getting the car to go to school because they were like, hey, school's not canceled. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Not yet. So I'm sitting in first period English, and we're all just, like, trying to process the situation. And, like, I just remember just, like, being mad but not, like, emotional about it. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like me sitting there, like looking around, going, "How dare you? That's like, a, like yeah. how dare you? Like, like, who the fuck do you think you are?" And I'm sitting there, mm. and like in my head, I'm like, "Do they know who we are?" And I'm a freshman in high school, like I'm somebody. Yeah, but we had that. Like, then. I weighed like a buck forty. I ran cross country. But <laughs> we, had, but we, as a nation, we had that then. Even high school kids yeah. going, "Hold on, we're America. This doesn't happen to us." Yeah. And 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 part of that's just being naive. Part of that is, hey, you know, living with your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. The world is a mean and nasty place, period. Right, and you're a kid, and you're not exposed to that stuff at that point. I mean, I'm only a couple of years in front of you. I came in in 04, but I was in, I was a sophomore in high school, and I was in, um, I don't know what class, sociology or something. We didn't have TVs in our room. They had a wheel one in on a cart. You yeah, know? same. They carted the TV in, and we're looking at this, and, and I just remember thinking, oh, somebody has to pay for that. You know, and then Bush gives his speech on the rubble that, you know, the people that knock these buildings down are fixing to hear from all of us now. Oh, yeah. And I just remember when he said that and the, the whole 9-11 experience. And then, you know, uh, the big thing was the falling man, people that were so hot that they were jumping out to their deaths. And, oh, yeah. and, and, and I just thought, nope, somebody has to atone for that shit. Yeah, it was just, how and that dare was, you? Yeah, yeah, how dare you think that you, you're that so brazen of you to think that we won't come do something about that. And, and the th- I think the thing that, like, upset me the most that made me just like blood boil but again i wasn't like emotional about it i wasn't crying about it i wasn't like no neither was i was at, mad i wasn't than... screaming at the sky you know it was like none of the people in those buildings did anything to you no nope, none of them and i was just like everybody's right i'm hearing adults talk about like this is an act of war and i'm like it is <clears> but every single one of those people is is for all intents and purposes innocent like non-combatant yeah mm-hmm. they're working in an office building like mm. what is going on right and, now? And okay, and and as a kid, you don't realize that if you're Osama bin Laden, if you're OBL, and you're trying to keep Al Qaeda together, and you have 
offshoots of your uh, what then became ISIS with al Baghdadi and the Syria issue and the leaders over there that wanted to keep hitting the close target and OBO while he was alive kept them together. Hey, focus on the far target. And you don't know that as a kid. You're sitting no. in high school, and then boom, buildings blow up. And you're like, no, people can't do this. But they've been planning this for a minute. Oh, yeah. This is something that, that's been orchestrated, practiced, ran. People are in our country already. And you don't know any of that. You just know that, that goes against right. everything that I believe. And there's something inside of me churning now because of what I just witnessed. And as a 16-year-old sophomore in high school, I don't know what that is, but it becomes a calling. And it's, no, you got to go do this now. This is kind of what no. you got to do now. That was the same as me. So, so big catalyst with 9-11. Basically, a whole generation of warfighters, that was a catalyst for it. Oh, yeah. And so, um, yeah, so let's let's go through your career. So you get out of boot camp and check into the fleet? Yeah, so I've <laughs> – not quite. So I uh, get out of boot camp, go to SOI. Uh, I'm a West Coast, Best Coast type guy, you know. A bit, we're, uh, we're hiking hills and doing this and that. And they're like, hey, weapons MOS. I was like, what do you want to do? And uh, – this this guy staff sergeant Q I can't remember his name couldn't pronounce it and big guy and he's like you're gonna be a machine gunner and I'm like I'm gonna be a machine gunner like that looks terrible because they carry big guns and I would rather <laughs> not do that like this is atrocious I see a Mark 19 sitting on a tripod and I'm like how many ways can I slip my wrist vertically because that does not look like a good time at all <laughs> and I'm looking at this gun and I'm like out on the quad and I'm looking up at the alpha shelf and going. That plus that, like, not a chance, dude. Like, this is not a thing. And, and meanwhile, like, the instructors are like, "Nope, you're six foot plus. You look in good shape. You're a good build. You're gonna carry the pig." Yeah, and and that's <laughs> it. And they're like, "You're gonna do this." I'm like, like and this. you had a good GT score. And that therein lies the problem. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, "How do I get out of this?" And so I'm like asking <laughs> the 11s instructors, "I'm like, please, what do I do? Like, I want to carry light stuff." I didn't realize it. It's just different weight. Like, I'm like, it's, hey, it's I'll, still there. Yeah, it's still there. It's just different weight. I'm like, you don't. I'm like, fuck. So then we're like sitting in class one day and these dudes show up and they're like super cool and they're all black belts and they're like sleeves are down at their elbows. And they're like, oh, check it out. Like we're here to recruit for recon. And I was like, that's boats and stuff. That doesn't look heavy. Let's do that. <laughs> so they're like, hey, here's a screener. You got to have a PFT of at least this, CFT of this, GT of this. And I was like, bet, let's do this. Mm-hmm. So I go put my name on the roster. I'm like super secret about it because at the time I didn't understand that like, if you want to do something, tell other people. That way it's an actual goal. It's not just an idea. And then you'll mm-hmm. be more apt to do it. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of like secretly go like write my name down and then like run outside and like hide and like information. <laughs> And then they come back from the recon screen and they're like, where's Finney at? Like, get over here. And like, you put your name on the list? Because they're like, at weapon split. And I'm like, yep. Sure like, did. <laughs> so they pull me over. They're like, all right, we're going to the Horno pool. We go down to the pool. We do a swim. And uh, I did fairly well, I, I, I guess how I'll put it. And then they're like, all right, hey, run a PFT. Oh, somebody cheated. They didn't hit the turnaround, which was not true. We're like, run another PFT. I'm like, God. I'm like, all right. So we run back-to-back PFTs, run the O course a couple times. They're like, all right. Uh, just straight haze fest to oh, see yeah. who wanted to quit. Yeah, and then they're like, all right, circle it up. And so everybody like circles up, and they just start calling out names, and they're like, up, oh, Finney. And I'm like, what does that mean? And they're like, you guys are coming with us. Like, you guys are 0311s. We, uh, we're going to come pick you up in a van when we're done, when you're done with SOI. I'm like, okay. So then we get back, and the machine gun instructor's like, pissed. You, you idiot. And I'm like, I don't even know what this means. Like, I have no idea. <laughs> and so, uh, graduate ITB, they pick us up in a van, they take us over to Camp Margarita back when uh, it was still called pre-BRC and it was at Camp Marg. And yep. we proceeded to just thrash. What for, was that pre, that was like the pre-recon pipeline course, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was basically why you were waiting to go to basic reconnaissance course. Yep. Yep. And, uh, 
we just thrash. We just get tore up every day, all day, all day, every day. And it was ridiculous. But you're learning stuff. You're getting in better shape. And you're like, wow, this is, this is wild. And like two months in, I'm looking around. And a BRC class picks up. And they post the roster on the wall of who's going. And I'm like, oh, this is good. This is good. And it's like, this, this was mind-blowing. I'm a private. And in this squad bay we live in, there's like gunny such and such, staff sergeant such and such, gunny such and such, sergeant such and such. And I'm like, man, like. And they're all just like, dude, I'm John. And I'm like, I don't, like, this is so awkward to me. Mm-hmm. And then you look at this roster and it's all gunny, 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 staff sergeant, staff sergeant, staff sergeant, sergeant, sergeant. And then like <laughs> PFC, PFC, and that's the end of the list. And we're looking around, there's like 40 PFCs in the squad bay. And a couple of us looked at each other like, we're going to be here forever because the Marine Corps cannot afford to keep gunnies and staff sergeants and sergeants sitting in a squad bay waiting to qualify for a class. They already have seats. We don't. Mm-hmm. And so the next day, a bunch of us, like, we're out getting thrashed, and this is in our heads, and we're at the pool, and I drowned a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> Little and shallow I, water blackouts. I, I'm I'm pretty confident in the pool. I uh, I'm quick in the pool is what we'll call it. I'm I'm confident. I don't have any issues. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm done. I'm over it. I'm done. Like they pulled me out of the pool, and they're like, Are you good? And I was like, I'm done. I quit. They're like what? I was like, I deal are. I'm done. Because you can still do yeah. I was like, yeah. I don't want to be here anymore. Me and like three other guys. Well, because you've seen it to be an endless thrash fest where you weren't getting placed in into the pipeline, right? And, and don't get or me wrong, the, the pool was definitely a factor, hundred percent. Like that was definitely like that was the deciding blow. Like, mm. so they take us like, hey, we're going to change. Now, your- what about what were they doing in the pool that was underwater crossovers? Okay, underwater, yeah. And for dudes that are you know, it's fifty meters too. It's a good. It's yeah. a stretch. And dudes that are 0321s and dudes that are, you know, Marsakians and soft guys that are like, dude, we do those like every day. That's easy. Got it, man. More power to you. I understand it. Yeah, like, I've, I've, I had to do the underwater crossover. And I did shallow water blackout my very first time. But we had SEALs training us in Bahrain when I was in a fast company. And uh, they were out there. They're like, oh, man, we got tips for that because we were doing our qualification for our, for our platoon. And uh, I think it was like, C, it's like CW... Uh, SS and then SQ and then McQuist. Yeah. And I had the, I couldn't get the um, 1500 meter crossover safety stroke in the timeline. And I did it, did it, did it. But I did accomplish finally the underwater crossover. And um, then you have to do one where like, it's your squad leader, but an instructor was my squad leader, but the instructor's in the pool. You jump in and as soon as you come up, it's like you're going to rescue somebody, but they're combative because they're drowning. Yeah. But, you know, your instructors game it so they can try to drown you. Oh, yeah. And they'd take you under and you had to do the pressure points and stuff. I was check with all that, but I would always get a cramp at like 1,300 meters. And then it would slow my stroke. And then oh, I would yeah. miss it by like 30 seconds. Like, you want to try it again? Yep, I'll try it again tomorrow. Missed by 45 seconds. And it's like, what am I? What, I need thir- I need a half a minute. Couldn't do it, man. Yeah. And they only gave me like a, a certain number of attempts. But after that, I never even want. Like when they said you want to go to McQuist. Who wants to go to McQuist? I'm like, nope. nope. You can keep the short shorts and the hazing to yourself. <laughs> no sense. I'm all I. set right there. <laughs> Unless it's going to do something that advances my career and it's not yeah. where I'm at. I'm all set. Yeah. yeah, so a couple of us quit, and they're screaming at us, like, we're going to change your MOS, we're going to make you a cook, you're going to scrub oil off a, off a runway, like, you're going to hate your life, and we're like, I'm like, I don't care, I'm over Where's this. the pins at? <laughs> yeah, and, and like, literally, there's like a mat, they, they're like, go see Matt Sarn, we're like, like, they put us into this office, and Matt Sarn's like, are you kidding me? Like, here's the phone, call your parents, tell them you quit. I'm like, like you, come on, man. <laughs> Pick the phone up, and I start dialing, and he like, hangs it up, and he's like, nah. He's like, you going to do it? I'm like, yeah. 
He's like, you quit. Like, I quit. I'm t- I can't tell you any How more times I, I quit. Tell you? <laughs> I'm a private trying to convince a mass art that, yes, I really quit. Like, I'm not. And he's like, all right, man, where do you got buddies at? I'm like, excuse me? And he's like, yeah. He's like, we're not going to change your MOS. We want to make sure that dudes aren't quitting because of a temporary pain. We want to make sure that you're serious. You that, seriously that don't want to do this. Yeah, you do not want to be here. And he's like, where do you got buddies at? We ain't trying to hose you. I'm like, uh, I got buddies at 3-1 and 3-5 like from SOI. That's where the two units they went to. And he's like, which one do you want to go to? And I was like, I guess 3-5. Like, I don't know the difference. And he's like, sick. And a couple weeks later, like two weeks later, I had orders. And to 3-5. Yeah. And like they were still deployed. And so from there, I went to 3-5. And oh, that's nice dudes. because you didn't get the, like you didn't get a traditional welcome welcome well, to the. We, oh, we got a welcome. Oh, you got a when welcome. When they got back. I was going to say, it might be worse if you get the welcome from the star squad that's in the RBE, too. Oh, yeah. that, that Sometimes happened. that's yeah. not fun. Yeah, it was, it was a wild time. For those of you that didn't serve, we, we call them the star squad because they are the short timers against reenlistment. And usually when you get the star squad running around, they just came off a of deployment or multiple or or charges or they're getting out and they... They got nothing the, to the, lose. The pack has dropped, as they say. And, and yeah, and then some new fresh... Uh, baby boots come on deck, wash it out of what they would say is washing out of the pipeline school. And that's basically what it was. It's yep. like three of us all check in and they're like, oh, three, you know, two PFCs and a private because for some reason my promotion warrant's been lost for the last, you know, three months. And I'm like, I'm still a private. Like, <laughs> Rob Marine Corps. Yeah. Uh, I went straight from private to Lance Corporal basically because they're like, hey, here's your warrant for Lance Corporal. And it was like, why aren't, why aren't you a PFC? And I was like, I don't know. Put chevrons on now because you went Pro- to recon <laughs> because they, jacked they everything lost up. it all in the system and i just walked around like a private for you know, like a year i was like i don't know any slick collar i don't know any better no landing gear hey, i don't work. know didn't matter yeah. didn't matter all right so three five they finally come back from deployment yeah they came back from iraq you got a second welcome aboard i, yeah. I assume yeah they, <laughs> things right. got a little wild when they got back a little spicy on field day night they, oh yeah it uh, got wild some experiences that uh <laughs> you won't talk about <laughs> yeah hello How where you did they come back from uh they were uh shark fin so i think they were west of, iraq uh, yeah they were in iraq so you're talking about like out towards rawa yeah. uh sistani yeah not sistani uh rawa and uh i remember the sharks fin because i used to man a bp outside of rawa and we could see them debt uh controlled debt and off yeah, the sharks had, fin. I, I can't remember the name what was it? uh you baity, whatever. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah it doesn't matter. I, I, the I, sharks I fin, wasn't there. Euphrates River. Yeah. But they weren't on a mew, is what I was no. getting after. No, they, they, they were mew. dropping bodies. The, yeah, so and then, then they come home. They all came back, uh, and they take over as our uh, our new our new bosses and daddies and all that. And mm. My platoon commander is a sergeant. My platoon sergeant is a corporal. <laughs> everybody else, I think we had one other corporal, and everybody else is lance corporals. And I thought that's how the entire Marine Corps ran. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. We had a massive gunny who just like <laughs> nobody messed with. Uh, I mean, his his brief to us was phenomenal. It's like if one of you thinks that you've been hazed, let me know. Like, come see me. I got an open door policy. We'll close the door. I'll teach you what hazing is. Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so, for those of you that thought you had an outlet for your safety, you were wrong, and now Daddy has you. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he, phenomenal though. Like the the company chain of command we had was phenomenal. They and were, my guess is if they're coming off a real deployment, that training was a big deal when they got back. Oh yeah. And the only reason I say that is, I fancied myself a pretty decent leader, and I did I did multiple deployments. You know, some combat, some not. Got different experiences, but until I really 
was in combat, was in battle with people that were trying to kill me back every day. I didn't focus on training the same. When I came home from Marja in 2010, you can ask these guys. I mean, as soon as I was home, it was like train, train them tourniquets. Do gun drills. I don't give a fuck what everybody else is doing in their squads. You now have a focus of what matters. Well, and you realize that no matter how much time you have, you can never train them enough to replicate that experience. You can only train them enough in hopes that their muscle memory will take over and they'll do what they're supposed to do. And you realize that when you're over there and people start dying. So then when you come home, it's like, no, we don't have time. Like, you don't have time to lay around and play Xbox. You need to go train now. And when you're done with that, you need to go run. And then when you're done with that, you need to hit the gym. You know what I mean? Oh, so, yeah. uh, so you guys coming off of that, your seniors coming off of that, training was probably paramount, I would say. Yeah, we'll call it continuous and, uh, and, constant, and constant, continuous, right. uh, mm-hmm. very in-depth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, w- I would say fairly effective. I would, I would venture to say uh, doctrine was not necessarily like, hey, this is the way it is in the pub. It was based solely off their experience. And what we found out down the road uh, was that a lot of these guys that were our seniors had essentially, for all intents and purposes, they'd gotten in the Marine Corps like six months before us. We didn't know that. They Mm -hmm. had gone through ITB, checked into the unit, and then deployed to Iraq like three months later. And so none of them had advanced schools. None of them had. And so they hadn't had the opportunity to learn except by fire. Mm -hmm. And it was like, wow. Like, that's impressive, but it also explained why some of their methods were what they were. Well, unorthodox, as it were. And and come to, like, I'm sitting there, you know, mad at these guys as my career's progressing. I'm like, man, these guys were, like, ridiculous. But they also did not know any better, and they didn't have an opportunity to learn any better. Mm -hmm. It wasn't due to negligence. It was due to time constraints, essentially. Yeah, it wasn't malicious. It was, this is all we know and we're trying to be as effective as possible. Mm-hmm. And I learned some good lessons. And I learned hey, how to be and how not to be. Like I learned a lot of things out of it. And I'm I'm thankful that, you know, I had that experience. And I don't mm-hmm. I don't hold any ill will. I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh I, I don't like that guy. Get yeah. out of here. Like yeah. it was never malicious. Mm-hmm. It was never malicious. It was always like weird, you know, that we are doing X, Y, and Z because this is what matters and this is like this is what we need to push. Like we're we're doing tourniquet drills <laughs> until two in the morning. Yeah. Not drunk, no, no weird shit. Just like, hey, we're we're training mm-hmm. because we need to. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Like, mm-hmm. one, one of the big trainings, I, uh, evolutions I did when we came back with some of the new guys and I pushed hard was nighttime training. Never did it outside of Fast Company. My leaders in Fast, I had great leaders, 0302 platoon uh, captain, platoon commander. Then we had a gunny, for, uh, force recon gunny. His whole career comes there as his B billet. And then three infantry squad leaders, right? And it's like, you couldn't ask for a better fast element than that because you got to stay within. And they trained and they loved training. Oh, man. Um, so do you go to, you deploy with these guys with them with 3-5, I assume, yeah? Yeah, so we, we actually had kind of a, it was a weird, uh, a, a weird cycle. Uh, we had a pretty long uh, workup. We had, it was like 18 months, which at that time was like, just weird. That was mm-hmm. a really long like workup cycle at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we, we deployed to Iraq. Uh, we're in Southern Fallujah down near uh, Shahada. Uh, like my, my platoon specifically is down by Shahada, Fob Reaper, that type okay. area. Uh, just north of uh, was it Pump Barney, Barney's Pump, whatever it was okay. called. Yeah. Uh, so we're down that way. And this is oh, this is seven. Six, seven. Yeah. Okay. Nothing too wild. Yeah. This is probably the best way to put it. I was in Iraq 07 and 08, and it wasn't. You had the IEDs once in a while, some pop shot, and, you know, non-decisive engagements. 
I don't know if you experienced much of the same, but it, you, you're up on post, a round hits a window, and you're like, oh, oh, what happened? What happened? And then, like, you look into it, and there's a guy testing a gun. Yeah, yeah. At your building. Like, yeah. <laughs> but he's not hiding. He's not hiding. He's like, oh, no, no, I was just, I'm getting ready to sell this gun, and I was testing it. Like, celebrating. It's really weird, man. Like, that's odd of you, but you also are not hiding, so I don't think you're malicious. I'm yeah. confused you're by your not tactics. Being sneaky. <laughs> this might be a good yeah. new tactic that you have. Yeah, or just creeping around. Like, we're creeping around at night trying to find somebody doing, you know, the wrong thing. Next thing we know, like, the Iraqi policemen are shooting at us because they see somebody creeping around. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. this, this really got out of hand quickly. Oh, yeah. And then, and then, well, in 07, 08 time frame when I was there, they would have local militia of their own in some yep. of the cities. And then it's like, well, I really hope you check in with me. I found one with a a green dazzler laser on the bottom of his AK-47. Thank God he was, but I hadn't seen a laser. And then I seen a laser and I'm like, no, we're rounding them up. And we round them up and, you know, oh yeah, they're local militia. They're allowed to be here. And it's like, Come oh. on. That would have been nice what to are know. We, what yeah. are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, I dealt with the same thing in Afghanistan though, yeah. with the ANA and, oh, yeah. and their special police. I mean, anyway. So you go the you go to Iraq, you do that mm-hmm. mission. It's, not as kinetic as some of your other deployments will be, but you'd learn in ropes. You're your junior guy, and yeah, good, good lessons learned. You, you learn you still get to patrol in a rural in a rural area, and probably in a built up area where you were at somewhat. Yeah, we were kind of down, and we just kind of joked it was like the slums of Fallujah. It was southern Fallujah, so mm-hmm. we're down there, and like things are still kind of blown out. They're starting to rebuild. We push out to the uh, the eastern desert and hit the rat lines and stuff. Uh, big open areas. You'd find like a random anti tank mine, and mm-hmm. you're like. I don't know where that came from, like, you know, but, and then, you know, you're, you know, cruising up and down roads and alleyways and climbing over walls and stuff the next minute. And like, it was, it was good. You learn about atmospherics. Patrolling atmospherics, Mm -hmm. huge lessons Mm -hmm. that you can learn in the non-kinetic fight that will help you in a kinetic fight for sure. And and you also know, like the place has a reputation. Yeah. Like I'm not exactly getting complacent because this place has a reputation. I mean, just before the, oh, like, cause I'm, like I said, oh, seven, oh, eight was coming in there. And in the few deployments in the Alkheim region that I was in was steel fist and iron curtain operations. And when we came into places like Karabla and Sadah, you could still see where they had sniper uh, hides and 50 caliber machine guns on truck mounts, just chewed the buildings to pieces. Oh yeah. And uh, just rubble, a lot of it was still rubble going through there, but it had pacified finally. And that's why we had local militias helping out and the IPs and stuff. But it looked like, I know when I rolled through there, I was like, they had battle here oh, yeah. for certain. Like, oh, yeah. Like Route Michigan, pretty well oh, yeah. storied. You know, Route Henry. Like you, you talk about, you know, these places that are in books and you just like, okay. And Bronze, you know, Diamond, yep. Henry, Michigan was in a lot of books. Yeah. Yeah, like the, these are storied places, and then you push all the way over to the to the Euphrates, and you're like, oh, well, this is the Euphrates, like, for, you like know. legendary, yeah. biblical, yeah, like wow, like <laughs> weird. This is, this is a thing. I found uh, in Iraq in 07, we found an S vest, and it had 82 millimeter mortars, and they were all pink debt corded together. You know how they do, and we chucked that thing in the Euphrates River. And at, at the request of EOD, because at the time EOD wouldn't roll as a direct support to a company or a platoon. Yeah. We now do on big operations, but at the time you might sit on that S fest for 12 hours and wait, or you might just get a command to go throw it in a river. And that was the wild thing. It was like, yeah, in Iraq, you're like, Hey, we think we found something or we did find something and be like, all right, Hey, 12 to 24 hours, like hang out. We'll, uh, we'll get them out to you as soon yeah. as we can. Get an ear in a far side cordon. Give me, yeah. yeah. And then you're sitting, then you're sitting there in the dew, letting the dew fall on you all night. Hopefully, it's not cold. I, yeah, dude, I've had my, 
I've had my EOD calls in Iraq where you yeah. waited. That sucked. And it's like, okay, you can be, like, at the time you feel pissed. Like, why aren't they coming? And it's like, I don't know. They got 37 of their calls, and yeah. other people came in before you. <laughs> luck, luck of the draw, there's man. There's two trucks, 37 <laughs> calls. And what was the call? We suspect an ID potentially in this trash pile. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> and you know they were doing the same thing. They're going, uh Please okay. stop calling. Really, oh, okay. another one. <laughs> They're just trying. It's not like they just get out of the truck, huck a grenade at what the, what you think is right. bad, and just walk away. Yeah, like. <laughs> no. It takes a minute to figure that out, yeah. and it's you know until they confirm or deny what it is. It's a. I've never been an EOD guy, but I'm whether using a robot or a knife crawling on bombs is not like a non tense situation. <laughs> and then just to find well, out that it's a bag of trash at the end of it, like. <sighs> so anticlimactic <laughs> yeah i've seen a lot well, they made a uh, pressure plate out of a uh, piss bottle because you know the uh um, oh, yeah the truck guys that were route clearance wouldn't get out of their, their vix in iraq or maybe I, I wasn't in trucks in afghanistan but they'd be doing route clearance and be like they piss in a bottle and throw them out the window yep well they wouldn't ever think anything about seeing piss bottles amber colored yeah. piss bottles being on the road until they started blowing people up with them or popping tires at oh, least yeah. they could make a little one I see uh, in Iraq they used um, a dead dog carcass and mm-hmm. put a bomb in that. They put bombs in cars. I mean, they were, it was contentious with bombs over there. And then I go to Marja later on and I didn't even think about IEDs really. I mean, I mean we, we thought did, about them when we seen them. Yeah. But we were getting machine gun shot at us and we were really worried about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a different dynamic. Yeah. And sometimes it's like the thing you're going to think about is the thing that you're most concerned with at that moment. And, you know, when an RPK or PCAM goes off, you go, that's my concern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Immediate threat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, what's after um, 3 5? Uh, so actually, I stayed with three five. Uh, we got back from uh, we got back from Iraq. We picked up our our young uh, you know devil dogs, uh, trained them as we had been trained and uh, as we saw fit. Uh, we got ready to leave for our next deployment. Uh, we went on the thirty first Mew out to Okinawa, Japan. We hit Korea. We hit uh, Philippines, Thailand. Now I've never uh, done that. It's a good time. Yeah, so it's that's what I've time. heard in my junior years all i wanted to do was fight so it was like no i don't want to do a mew no i don't want to do a mew and then once you know looking back i'm like man i really wish i would have done a mew and like experienced some of the other parts of the world that aren't fighting it was definitely a good time it was a good experience and it was i can kind of look at it now again and be like man uh there are some serious benefits to doing that like and not just like oh hey i'm not you know turning a shoulder such as what uh so you you train in so many different environments that you better conceptualize some of the warfighting concepts and the employment of things more than just, I'm training to Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm training to a specific theater or a specific, well, this is how we did it in this. This mm-hmm. is how we did it in this. And it's like, well, you are never again in your life going to come across that same location, same situation, same time and place with the same adversary. Mm-hmm. You're not. Well, it's so, even like coming out of you know Afghanistan or Iraq once and going back, and it's a completely different place. Exactly. Now, some things are still the same. People are still trying to kill you, but the tactics, the TTPs that the enemy's using, all of that is very fluid. And so it's not like it's staying for years. They're developing new taxis, tactics just as quick as we're shutting their old ones down. And, and so that's where, like, okay, doing Iraq and then, like, getting a leadership position and being like, hey, you're a, you're a team leader, and then you're going to, like, hey, you're going to go to Japan and you're going to work, you know, patrolling operations. And you're seeing the TCMs, you're seeing the planning process and considerations. You're like, oh, that makes sense because we're not just doing an open desert anymore. And then mm-hmm. you go to Thailand and then you go to the Philippines and you're doing all these things in different Did environments. Did you get the training in uh, 
any canopy jungles at oh, all? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a wild time. Yeah, see, that's something that I didn't get to do that I hear about, and I'm like, mm, 10 out of 10 would it. not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand that side, but I have no context when somebody tells me about training or fighting in that kind of environment. It's just like if you were to talk about our war to a Korean veteran, a Korean war vet or a Vietnam guy, they don't understand it. It's like, man, I'm glad you did that. And it's like, well, I'm glad you did yours. Cause I right. don't understand that one. And, and that's where I benefited. I, I know me personally, I benefited from conceptualizing like, Hey, the employment of machine guns in thick vegetation. Hey, what considerations do I need to think about? Mm. Hey, it's raining and we're in a triple canopy jungle and they're technically you're in the mountains. And so everything goes up and down and up and down. And now guys are just sliding down hills at mock Jesus slamming into trees because nobody is a tackle rope suspension techniques master and nobody brought any rope. And we're just trying to figure it out. And we had never tackled that problem before. And does that come into that type thing, that thought process come into, you know, handy the rest of your career? Yes, it does. Mm Because then you start going, okay, I'm going to look at something and what prep work can I do on the front end to make sure I don't end up in a situation like that again. And maybe it's not ropes. Maybe it's, you know, whatever. But like, I start thinking about like, what considerations do I not, if I only think about Iraq and Afghanistan, those had no application to the jungle. And Mm -hmm. I was like, wow. But some of the stuff does cross pollinate. And it was like, yeah, it was a good experience. And now something, this is something that we, we've talked about and maybe we've talked about offline a little bit too, but I was just on the phone with E-Man talking about, um, this is going to sound so trivial, but I feel like it's so important that we have to mention it. Reading. Um, a lot of warfighters don't read, at least in the enlisted ranks. I think a lot of the officers continue to read. They get that reinforced into them. They're forced to go to the war college and do studies. We don't do that in the enlisted side. You have a commandant's reading list. You have books you're supposed to read. But there's, I'm not going to say there's no because I've been out of it for a while. But unless you have a small unit or 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 a senior level enlisted uh, mentor or you know commander warrior gunny staff sergeant saying hey you should probably read you should probably read a lot you should probably read these books if they don't continually reinforce that then the average Joe three is going to work they're getting some they're doing gun drills on and off tourniquets dunk tank and then they want to go get drunk that's what they do. And that's, uh, that's what E-Man said on the phone. I'm like, yeah. well, that's not all of them. And, and then I start thinking about it. And if you think about the masses of the, you know, 18 to 24-year-old infantry Marine, when they get done training and Libo is sounded, it's time to go do some other training. And usually that's punishing their liver or, you know, going out and partying. If Finding we had more reading. Ex-wife. Well, if we had what, what the whole point. Well, of, so that's actually changed a little bit. A couple of years good. ago, General Nuller mandated everybody, everybody, every rank, every level will do five book reports and and turn them into their leadership every year five book and reports a year so that's more than one is it quarter. happening and so again it's based on leadership like this is not a hey i'm i'm cool but like i write mine and i submit them to my rs who writes my fit rep generally just before the fit reps do i'm like hey just so you remember like here's these these are the ones i've read this is i, I need you to annotate that under pme and then like <clears throat> i i know like i see other staff ncos and officers pushing it as well being like hey guys like I want to see book reports and then doing the right thing and not just being like, cool, take it, throw it in his counseling jacket, but red penning it, giving it back and having a discussion with the guy. hundred percent. Not being an English teacher, but like, Hey, I want to professionally develop you because you're not going to be a trigger puller forever. Well, that's it's one like, yes. thing. And can you be a better trigger puller if you understand the technical side of what we're doing? I mean, you, you eventually will have to write orders. You eventually will have to present them and speak intelligently in front of your men. And if you can't do that, you will lose some of your esteem 
for your men, they'll be like, you can't even talk, can't or, even talk right, or you can't even brief right. Or when you get out, preparing you to either go to college or in a career, you might have to write reports and sound somewhat educated when you do so. And you know, you or even just typing an email. You and written be, communication. You know? Written communication can be difficult. People oh, struggle dude. with that. Big and so if we, can, do. if we can develop that and you understand the thought process in a situation where you have a little bit more time and you use it, then when you're having a conversation, it's a little bit easier because you have something to kind of recall from. 100%. Well, there's so many other things that come from reading too. Like somebody told me one time, if you want to be a good, uh, if you want to be a good writer, you need to read. Uh, if you want to be a good speaker and communicator, you need to read. My point to the whole thing was that anything, and I want to say this was in a Ryan Holiday book. I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday. He he wrote the Stoics. He writes mm-hmm. about the Stoics. He writes about the Seneca letters, Marcus Aurelius. He goes back and he, he really forms it. But he says um, uh, in, re- in regards to reading and, and writing, he says you need to read to be a better writer and to be a better communicator. And then in, in his book, I want to say he's got two or three books that I have up there. I want to say it's called Stillness is the Key. He talks about a lot of that same shit and you become so much better. Your vocabulary becomes better. Your, your, uh, your spoken and your written communication becomes better. But the whole point, the whole wrap in the tie into the conversation with Ryan Holiday was that he would say any situation that you come up on, if you have seen it, read it, viewed it, even it done wrong, whatever it is, you're infinitely better at that. And so he's saying, if you read, and, and the whole point to me is if we read more in general, whatever you want your subject matter expertise to be in, you should find 10 books as a start about that thing in that situation as closely as you can to that niche, whatever niche you're after, and then read them and read all the experiences of the people that came before you. And this can alleviate you making mistakes on your first actual physical time in doing it. And so, uh, had that conversation with LT, had that conversation with you, uh, Matt, and that's just something I'm big on. And I was never a reader. Like I was the studious Marine when I was in that did my MCIs because I had leadership pounding me, which I thank them for. Um, but as far as, did I go out and read war memoirs and war experiences before I was going to war? Not the way I should have. And so we need to change that and make that a, and you talked about the Marine Corps seems to be doing that now, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. They're pushing into it now. Like now, now they're mandated and depending on uh, kind of depending on the leadership, like mm-hmm. actually enforcing it and ensuring that it's happening. Uh, you, you got units and you know, small units that'll do book discussions and be mm-hmm. like, Hey, we're going to read legacy. We're going to read what I, which is a book about the New Zealand all blacks uh, by James Kerr. It's a, it's a rugby team out of New Zealand and they're renowned as one of the best sports teams, sports teams across plural sports, in the Ever. world, in the history of you know, in the history of sports, like they just have such, they have a winning record. And it's phenomenal. Like and I, so, when you're going to do that book report as a marine, and you're looking at that, I'm sure like there's a lot of people that look at that and be like, "Why are we reading a story about rugby?" The first time I got introduced by actually the uh, the marine officer you ran into on the beach, he was the one who brought it up and was like, "Hey, like Boom. we're gonna, yeah," and he's like, "We're uh, we're gonna do a, a book study with the platoon, and we're uh, we're gonna do legacy." And I was like, "Okay, what is that?" He was like, oh, it's uh, the Commandant's Book of the Quarter this time around, and uh, it's a book on a rugby team. And he, he was kind of a rugby guy. He played mm. for Navy, and, you know, yeah, he played football for Navy. And I was just like, I'm not a rugby guy. I'm like, okay, I'll back your place, sir. Like, let's do this. This yeah. is going to be interesting. You got, you know, privates, PFCs, and Lance Corporals is the target population description we're discussing this with. Like, all right. Let's do it. 
And by the end of chapter one, I was like, I'm all in. This is phenomenal. Because and, the, it was, and the guys too, even the, the junior enlisted guys were like, yeah, let's do this. Absolutely. Because yeah. it wasn't a military book. It's about sports. It's about teamwork. It's about, and I, I think chapter one, if I remember correctly, chapter one, I believe is sweep the sheds. It's about not being too big for the little things. Like mm. the team has this rule about like the junior guys don't clean up after they don't clean up the, the essentially the locker room. The senior guys do. You have to earn the ability to treat the equipment right. Mm. and like sweep the sheds and it's just a reminder that like hey yeah i'm a senior guy but like i'm gonna pick up after myself i'm gonna pick up after the team that's my responsibility and brilliance in the yeah. basics uh, essentially yeah and like younger guys would like try to clean up and they're like no get out essentially like, you, don't, you don't rate to you don't up. even rate to yeah. clean the locker room yeah and it's just it's wild but and but think about the, the yeah that's a great environment that that forms a working environment that you need to give all your best just to do the bad just not the bad just to appreciate what seems to be the most the finite the um, you know, minuscule the, things mm-hmm. like well it's cleaning no it's important we're mm-hmm. making sure our gear is stored and cleaned properly Attention we're making to detail. sure that when we show up next practice everything is right where it's supposed to be Pristine. that matters like mm-hmm. oh oh and we don't trust you with that responsibility yet mm-hmm. oh man kind of thinks <laughs> it makes me think about a marine boot camp that you didn't even rate to blouse your boots in phase one and you don't even rate to wear your sleeves rolled out in phase two but by phase three, boy, and you're marching to chow, everybody's boots are bloused, you're locked on, and you pride, you take pride in that. And it does build that sense of pride and uniform and attention to detail and IPs. I mean, people that don't know what an IP is in the Marine Corps, they say an IP is an Irish pennant, and that's just a little thread sticking out on your uniform. And something as small as that fail, fail a uniform inspection and say, you fight wars, why are you? Why are you worried about that? Well, here's why. It's attention to detail and taking that IP out as small and minuscule as that may be, may be the difference in 30 seconds of an on-call target going down. And that's the difference in you putting some of your dudes in bags and sending them home versus not. And so attention to detail becomes a big thing, right? So man reading. I love, I love the fact that we're reading. So what, what, what's the most current book review you've done? Uh, let's see. Matterhorn is one of my favorites. Uh, Matterhorn is phenomenal. I have that. I have that on the shelf over there. So we did that one with privates, PFCs, and Lance Corporal. That's like a seven hundred fucking page book too. And and, and they, you can get through it. And we did it week by week, chapter by chapter. And the only the thing dangerous it, about that one is uh, it's so <laughs> some good. of the personalities of their officers. Oh yeah, Kako. Carl Marlantis, the author, came and did the last chapter with us. Oh, really? Phenomenal. Oh, man. So that's one of the favorite ones I've done. I think one of the most recent ones I've done, I just did uh, uh, What It's Like to Go to War, which is a follow-on to that, to Matterhorn, same same author. What else did I do recently? I redid MCDP1 because I'm a firm believer, like especially when it comes to Marine Corps doctrine, like your perspective changes and you're going to learn different lessons every time you pick it up. So I I just recently redid MCDP one. I did that with on killing and on war. I would read them like one, like once a year or something, something like that. And every single time I was at a different, uh, I was at a different leadership point or a different following point in my career. And I took something different, good, different out of it that I could apply. And I probably read the book six or seven times. God forbid we become more dangerous from the same information. Like, <laughs> I know, right? It's a beautiful thing that old Grossman did. Right. And a lot of the things that he... And I actually read his when I was supposed to, so I read it prior to, to doing the Mars deployment, and I absolutely understood things about me that I could help prevent other things happening to me, at least right off initially, Yeah, because I read that book. 
Uh, th- things like leadership things, and I'm not even talking about PTSD things. I'm talking about there were times there when there was no doubt in my mind I gave one of my junior Marines a command to fire on somebody, and they didn't want to. And instead of being, before reading that book, I'd be like, no, I said fire. And instead of that, I as a leader could own that and say, well, if this one's wrong, it's on me. And I can take that shot. And that may save that kid from having a horrible next 10 years. It, it very not, well may. He's got to deal with it and be like, I'm the one who had to do it. Like, yep. And right. then he's going to maybe have to live with something that, and I, and the always, the reason I always did it was because of that book. It would make me think of it. And it only happened twice. There were only two times that that happened. And both times morally in that PFC or private, I had a couple guys that came straight from SOI and they came after we get back from pre-deployment leave. And then we left nine days later and they were in the suck like 39 days later. Trial by fire, literally. Welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, so one of them was one of the, but we'd been fighting for like six months at this point. However, our initial ROEs, there was nothing about active or passive spotters. That changed because they would come right out in the field and they thought because they didn't have a gun, we wouldn't shoot them. But we had ICOM chatter Marines who would be intercepting their two-way traffic and they're controlling controlling the Taliban team. And it's like, no, now you can shoot them. Well, so this was after that and he hadn't been ordered to shoot somebody without a gun to that point because it wasn't always happening and we're on overwatch position overwatch and his team move across we're actually like kind of like traveling overwatch and uh building to building and sure enough here's a here's a spotter on the phone icom confirms and i'm like yo i'm not gonna say his name but i'm like yo dog hit him run a stripe he had the 249 and instead of seeing that joyous, I'm about to engage ignition go on in his brain, that electricity that I would usually see, it was more of that, shoot him. And I was like, nope, don't shoot him. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. I'll, I'll Never take, mind. Got it. Got it. Ne- yeah. Cover that sector. No, and that's no how, foul, dude. Yeah. And, and that's just what I, per- like, I took that from that book. I'm not going to make this kid do this. If it was a different situation, and I had different situations, never had to deal with that. Mm-hmm. When they had guns, when they were clearly... In the fight decisively, my guys didn't hesitate, never, never once. But on the time, and I appreciated that he hesitated too, because it's like, okay, you're not too far gone. Right. Because it can get Lord of the Flies out there. Oh, like, yeah. especially with young guys that are unrestrained. It's like, that you got to, sometimes you got to pull back. I didn't have to do that. It was like, good. I got it. You don't Sometimes better to have to pull back than to uh, push forward. Though. I'm talking about. It's better to have to Prison pull them. Rules or <laughs> <laughs> I mean, default aggression, yeah, but not necessarily like you would rather have an over. You would right. rather exactly definitely have yeah. a rather have to pull them back than say, "Hey, no, we really have to do this." You gotta, yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be worse for sure, for sure. So okay, so let's go from three five. What's your next unit that you check into? Stayed with three five. Stayed with three. Almost five. six and a half years. Grand so old we, man of the oh, three five. Yeah, we do, uh, <laughs> yeah, we do the thirty uh, first mu. Uh, we return from the mu. Uh, that's where I made the determination. I was like, I guess I'm going to reenlist. So mm-hmm. I reenlisted uh, on the Mew, got promoted to corporal. Uh, Did you get that tax free money? Uh, no, no. <laughs> we were not in the Philippines at we're the time. We weren't there yet. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were in Oki. Uh, so reenlist, come back, and they're like, hey, two weeks you're going to Squadlers course. And I was like, okay. Sweet. Like, so I went to Islick, West Coast, uh, Blackside, for those of you who know, know what, uh, what the, that means. It's phenomenal. What's uh, Blackside mean? Uh, black side versus red side. There's two, uh, basically two courses running simultaneously. Okay. Okay. Red side was notorious for dropping dudes for like knowledge, and black side was just a haze X. Period. And you went black side. Period. So oh, you're yeah. in great shape coming out of. 
coming out is like <laughs> you ran everywhere in full kit carrying everything yeah. and just i attrition was the mission and business was good my squad started with 14 graduated with six and it was see i had a different experience in in Islick than that it was east coast which will always have the east coast west coast riff uh however i, I will i got called off of post-deployment leave from marja to go to Islick. <laughs> Marja was my third squad leading on a deployment. So it was a check in the box. Like, Hey, you need to get promoted. So we kind of need to do this now. We need PME. And it was like, um, it was horrible because I already had, like I was calling grid polar and shift missions, the entire deployment. I was calling Kazavex the entire deployment. And so when I came in, like the, the culminating event was a squad op where you're a squad, a squad op that you're going to, uh, a squad comp that you're going to do where you're running like 15 clicks, but in the middle of it, there's like, you got to stop at a call for fire station and yeah. you're timed on ginning it up. And so my little group, all of us were, all of us were fresh out of Mars. So we just like stroll out. Hey, you want to do it? You want to, and just call it right off the head. But, 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 and the instructor's like, all right, assholes go, yeah, just, just go. Just m- get out of here. Yeah. Get out yeah. of here. <laughs> yeah. And so that was cool. And I, I went East coast, um, uh, is like, I'm sure it's not as hard because of elevation changes and things like that, but you do have the Jacksonville humidity and the Jacksonville uh, state bird mosquito bugs, and you have the swamps, and I think there's pros and cons to either place that you may go. It's definitely going to be harder uh, land nav and running and conditioning up those hills, though. Like, There's no way you can fight that. So max elevation yeah, in our training fact, area is like there's, 13 feet. There's no land nav on the West coast because it's all terrain association. You walk up and go, Oh, it looks like it's in this finger. And you stand up on top of a hill, look down on the finger and go, there's the box. I never, <laughs> it's I, not I, that way here. <laughs> I never needed a compass until I went through combat instructor school over here. Mm. Mm. And then, I and then you're the bushwhacking. And I was like, this is actual land nav. Things changed. Oh, crap. <laughs> it's like, yeah, man. It's like, this is this is hard. And it wasn't even a hard course, but it was like, oh, I need a compass. No, they might oh. only be 200 meters apart, but you're bushwhacking or offset aiming through. Dead reckoning the entire time. And that's what it turned into. Yes. Oh, yeah. If you're going to offset somebody standing right in that spot. Is this right? I don't know. Beat the weeds to me. Yep, I guess we're right. <laughs> and there's no running through that, especially if you go when it's down. And when you're down here. Oh my God! In the in the summertime and springtime, if you go, everything's so green. The green, bro- I mean, it's absolutely miserable. Oh yeah, absolutely miserable. And it's like being in a company instructor, which you got the taste of there in your career over at uh, SOI ITB. You take your guys out on the patrol X's. You better have a Bowie knife for snakes, and you better be ready to chop some green briar and get chewed the, chewed the hell up. But uh, anyway, so um, so yeah, go go through still Islic. a three thro- three five yep. go through is it. Yeah, finish up is like graduating like December. Uh, come out and like immediately like, hey, you're going to Winter Bridgeport. Here's your squad. You got eight guys. They're all junior guys. They uh, hated you. Ready go. And I was just like, well, let, let's let's send it, guys. Here we go. So full sends only. Go to Bridgeport. Come back and they're like, hey, uh, ITX now. Go to ITX. Come back. And like, all right, hey, well, uh, mission set changed a little bit. We're like, we're going to Afghanistan and uh, we're going to Sangin. So and this is ten. Yes, this is, uh, yeah, this is 10. Mm-hmm. So I think this is currently while you guys were in Marja. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was funny looking back because it was like, hey, like, okay, we're going to Afghanistan. And we're like, we've done Iraq. We've done like, this is, you know, multiple deployments now. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we know the system. We mm-hmm. know how this works. Nothing, nothing to surprise you. And they're like, hey, here's your corpsman for the platoon. And we're like, uh, we already have a corpsman. Like, you know, here's another one. 
Why do we need another Corbin? They never did that before. <laughs> and then they're like, hey, here's a third Corbin. What? Like, what, why Why in the hell do we need three Corbin? We're like, all right, whatever. This is a joke. Like, somebody's messing around. They, they probably mean company Corbin. They're like, hey, a whole company's going through CLS. Okay, yeah, I guess, you know, if we got seats for it and we got time, whatever. We graduate CLS. Hey, CLS next week. We literally just did it. Yep, CLS next week. Hey, you're probably, your command's here and reports from what's going on over there, I'm sure. I went through CLS six times. And I was like, you knew how to put a tourniquet on. on. Oh yeah. Did you do live tissue training too? So I didn't, we sent a bunch of guys to it, but I went to a GFO primer instead. Okay. And so that's what you do. Yeah. And so like, you know, all right, cool. Like, but we're getting all this extra random, like, Hey, yeah, now we're sending, uh, we're sending O threes, like O three elevens to the live tissue. And we're like, Mm -hmm. what is going on right now? Like, and you had no, uh, Nobody pronounced Sengen was the mission or what the mission was at this point. So or? realistically, there were no Americans there yet. Right. And so they're like, oh, it might be like Garmshire. It might be like that type area. And I'm like, all right. And like, hey, because you're replacing 3-7. I'm like, all right, cool. And 3-7's having, you know, I'm not going to say a hard time. They were doing God's work. But they're, you know, they're in some fights. Arranging they're, some meetings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, we're like, all right, cool. Hey, this should be good. And then we hear the stories and we're like, hey, you know, a month and a half out from deployment. And there's that story, the... Uh, the uh, the marine from three seven who you know beats a Taliban fighter to death with his own machine gun Butt like stock. in an ambush yeah and we're like let's do some McMap like you know we're, we're yeah, like, yeah let's <laughs> round fight right now we're reactive at this oh, point man. we're like all right guys we're all green belts right like let's let's start punching each other like let's we don't know what we're <laughs> doing somebody get but, the two forty let's butt yeah, stroke I don't yeah, know <laughs> let's, let's just let's just fight then I guess that's what it's come to like a little bit we're getting like low key reports you know just you know snippets of things. And then battalion commander has a meeting with us, or not a meeting. Uh, he has a uh, a gear inspection. Everybody out in the UMA lot. Everybody laid gear. Yeah. On. We're like, what is going? on? So everything leading up to that, we got platoon gear inspections, we got company gear inspections, a battalion one. And he comes out and he doesn't look at anybody's gear. Yeah, and he's just walking down the line, and we're like, he doesn't even give a shit about I'm doing the a gear. battle check. Pass and he's and just review. looking every marine in the eye and having a conversation with him, and it just made it very real. It was like, this isn't a joke. Mm-hmm. Then he pulls all the squad leaders in into a little classroom. And he's like, "Hey, this isn't a trick. Write down like if you got guys you need to cut from your team, you need to cut from your squad. Cut them. And you know, I'm making the number up here, but it's the equivalent of like we got 600 guys and 500 seats. Trim the fat now. And so dudes that you were like, "Hey, this guy ain't cutting it. Yeah. Pull them off. And so we we trim the fat. Next thing we know, we're uh, <laughs> we're in uh, Kyrgyzstan. I'm like, all right, let's do this. We uh, we hit the ground in Sangin. Um, Wait, where did you come in from Leatherneck? Uh, yeah. In yeah, birds, came, or yeah. you took trucks from Leatherneck out there? No, we flew in. Okay. And so we were still on Leatherneck, actually. Uh, I guess it would have been October 8th. Uh, Lima Company, like my guys, we landed on the 10th. October 8th, we took our first KIA, and we were like, we're not even on the ground. Like, mm-hmm. what is going on? And that was like, tone was set. Was yeah, like, okay. and, and so I want to tell a short a short rip story from our time and then transition back to you now that you said that and get just what the feelings were on the other side because uh two nine would have been ripping us out of marja another unit ripped one six out who who ripped was it another two, two nine six. element two six ripped one six out of southern marja at the time unbeknownst to them because they're working on six month old or at least two two three month old information probably in the rear training but their ttp in marja that the enemy started developing was they seen the consistent pattern of Marines upon taking contact, sucking to the nearest cover and then fucking them up after that. Oh, yeah. And so they started 
ambushing people by hitting them in the open, but having pressure switch IDs in all of the opening doorways going in. And so we get our guys and we're going up and doing a five day war up North. One six gets their relief in and they brief. And this is just key leaders, two squad leaders and a team leader out on this, or I think it was just two squad leaders, two squad leaders out on this left seat intro, get to know the run. And in the, in the, um, PCCs and PCIs, the the element leader told them, this is the tactic. When you take fire, you go through a window and over a wall. You do not run. And sure enough, they took contact on that patrol. Both 2-6, I think it was 2-6 squad leaders, suck into the same womp womp. <laughs> and then they got to call back and say, hey, squad one and squad two's squad leader's dead. Team, team leader number one steps up, shuffle the ranks, make it happen. And you're coming in still in a couple days. What do, you said it sets the tone, but what tone does that set when you get that word that you got your first KIA before you even on the ground? I mean, what does that do to the psyche I uh, mean, of you and then, let's say, of your underlings, like the guys underneath of you, uh, or maybe their first time? Yeah, I mean, it, for, for us, it just got real, real, real quick. We, we knew it was going to be. We knew it was going to be. Just like I said, all these other indicators coming up to it, and we're getting reports, and like people are telling us, like, like we're in fucking Kyrgyzstan. They shuffle everybody out body bags before you inserted? No, <laughs> they did that test in Marsha's only deployment I ever went on where they did that. And we were getting ready that we got our warning order. We got our five paragraph order, got our speech. And then it was like, go pack your stuff. We're going to Leatherneck to stage to invade. Oh, by the way, five, a squad pop, pop, pop. And you, I looked at him because it never happened to me, but I'm the uh, leader, right? I can't show like any kind of, Oh, this is a big deal. So I was kind of, you know, nonchalantly hey, getting five guys, you know, hitting you know, whatever. Boy, we went back to that GP tent, and it changed the whole dynamic. Because oh, yeah. now the Lance Corporals were sitting down staring like, why am I putting a body bag in my – why am I putting this in here? And it's like, hey, you're welcome to the game, baby. It's, oh, yeah. it's for real now. And so just having your guys that experience, oh, boom, KIA is down. We haven't even got there yet. Yeah, What yeah, does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, just holy crap. Like we're looking around. We're like, all right, well, like – Guys, I mean, dudes are already doing the right thing, but you get that word and you're sitting in a GP tent sweating at Leatherneck and guys just go, break the guns back open, keep cleaning them. Like, yep, I'm going right, to clean hey, the blue and slam yeah. off of this month. Yeah, like everything started, like everything's extra done. You know, mm-hmm. I, I double-checked my batteries, right? And it's like, bro, you're not going to turn those on for another three days. Like, I don't mm-hmm. care. I'm, I'm double-checking batteries. Op like, check, up check. Yep. Yeah. Batteries yeah, are dying because they're getting op-checked so much. It's wild. And were you guys under fire coming in? Uh, so like my insert was not, but a couple of them were, mm-hmm. uh, I think Kilo company was up North and they, they got some notorious videos of essentially like guys with sea bags on their backs under fire and bird couldn't land inside the fob. And they're like in a field outside working their way through dudes, you know, dropping bags, making their way up. Hey, we'll come back from later. We have overwatch on them. Like, yeah, it, it ain't worth, you know, <laughs> dying or dying losing over. a bird, $60 million aircraft over. Yeah. Give or so. take. Yeah, I mean, it, it got wild. Like, even, like, our, our platoon's first patrol outside the wire. It was like, hey, get 15 feet outside the gate. Here's a DFC, a directional fragmentation charge pointed at the gate. You look at the post and go, how did this get here? Um, you look in the background. Meanwhile, like, just out in the green zone, maybe a quarter mile away, you got Cobras and A-10s doing gun runs. And, like, yeah, man. 50 cals and Mark 19s ripping from another patrol base. And you're like, is this Vietnam, right? Like, what did we step into? Like, Bro, okay. it's it's funny to hear you say that. He's heard me say this a million times, at least a million. 
I never thought that I would be fighting hard on reinforced T wall barrier concrete machine gun bunkers with with six guns. Oh, yeah. I never thought I would control an A ten and do. A, I never thought I'd do a lot of things. I thought that was like old wars. And then we found ourselves over there in the same oh, yeah. exact region around the same time. And it was literally uh, Michael Grimes. He's a big video game <laughs> fan. And you'll love his episode uh, when, it, when it comes on. It's not long out. But at one point, like. Like day one. Day one looks, on the ground. He, 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 he makes some smart ass. Like he was the atheist in the group, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. He was the guy that just trolled the shit out of everybody and was like the clown. But you need that guy. Like that guy makes things better. And he said something. We're like engaged decisively in like a, I don't know, hour three of an all day firefight with these motherfuckers. And we got birds, man. And we got x rays escorting birds. And we got dust off door gunner standing on the 50 banking sideways shooting. And he said something. What did he say? He said, uh, he said, he Staff said Sergeant, Staff Sergeant, you fucking lied to me. And Staff Sergeant's like, what? He's like, you said it's not like the video games. We got kill streaks going on right <laughs> we now. We got kill streaks coming in like mad. It's like man, shut. But seriously, like it was, it was like that. It was like, like we got to kill twenty one in uh, in Call of Duty to get a freaking Cobra, and we got two of them coming in right now. <laughs> Just like the video games. It was funny. It broke the ice. He, there was a lot of times he was he the was, guy he like was that the when comedic relief the, the squad. That's you, you need that. Though. You do like but. man. Grimes was the guy that. We would be just in a real shit situation, and I'd be working. And I'm not even. I shouldn't have shot the amount. Like as a squad oh, yeah. leader, you're supposed to mark targets and use your teams, right? No, I would. I would run low on ammo with the rest of them because it was just like that. And I remember, like I don't know, half a dozen times minimum, we'd be in a real spicy situation. And Grimes was fat too. All right, I can say that because he's. He's a fluffy individual. He was box. a fluffy Marine, <laughs> but he was a good leader and he was calm under fire and he would do that for you under fire. Oh, yeah. And that's worth all of it. But like, I'd be getting after it. God, God, like trying to, and all of a sudden his like little chubby, fluffy self would like slide in, <laughs> like slide in. And he'd ha always have this weird look on his face, like CLP fucking beard, like on his face and be like, yo, sorry, we gonna make it out of this one. <laughs> And I if I say no, are you going to be mad? No, like, bro. I told no. I told my whole squad when I checked in and gave them like my expectations in my intro brief. I said I will never lie to you unless you ask me to lie to you. And so over in country, anytime he'd ask me something that I didn't want to tell him the truth, I'd say you want the truth of the lie, Grimes. And he'd be like, just lie to me, Sergeant. And I mean, we're in it. You're like, yeah, we're going to be fine. <laughs> One time he told me he said, no, tell me the truth. Like he was shook, and I was like, I don't know. I told you I'm not gonna lie. I don't. This looks bad, bro. Like I accepted it months ago. You should probably do the same. It'll make you a better fighter. That's that's that wild moment when you just go. You know what? If it's my day, it's my day. If it's not, it's not. That came very early in oh, those yeah. deployments. Like you step off a bird and realize that things are exactly as bad as they told you, and then people start, and you go, okay. Then like my prayer, like I talk about it in my book, and I talk about it in the podcast. I had a prayer that i said over there uh at, at least until i lost faith in that after a while but uh my prayer was simply you know like god let your will be done through me but please 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 blow me up or shoot me in the face whichever one because i don't want to lose my constitution because i'm injured and then look like a bitch i was worried oh, yeah. about looking like a bitch in death oh, yeah. and so i would pray i want one to the running lights or the heart or i want you to blow me all the way up. I yeah. don't want to wake up and people are dragging half my torso. I don't want to remember any of that. 
because I'm pretty sure the bitch in me will come out. And I don't want my guys to see that because then momentum's going to slow. It's going to take two or three of them to, to evac me, and they're going to be worried about me when they just need to go. Yeah, I just need them to push the fight. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. And that's a, weird, that's a weird conversation to have with yourself or your God or whoever <laughs> when you really have that conversation. It's like, but after that, after I... And it was early, but after I decided, yep, I'm, there's no way I'm making it out of this. Like, I'm going to give them hell and take as many of them as, as I can with me. When I made that decision, it was like it gave me power. I could run the gap. Oh, yeah. I could I could say, okay, slow down. You need to control this and not panic. Like, it happens, it happens. Yeah, so you, you guys mentioned, like, hey, you, you guys, you had an abundance. You never had a shortage of, like, enemy machine gun fire, that type of thing. Like, our situation was very different. Like, we pushed a squad out on patrol, and they would find 15 pressure plates in the first block. Like, the, yeah, see, so you everywhere. had a different. And so, like, that was the primary, was mm-hmm. you cannot find them all. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we were a weekend, and uh, our, our lieutenant found number 16 with his legs that day. And it just, it's atrocious. Like, guy was like 6'2", 6'4", something like he's a big guy. And, you know, when they roll up in the medevac, he fits in a wheelbarrow. Yeah. And you're like, shit, throw him at like me and Doc Jeezy in the back of an A&A pickup truck, like threatening the driver's life and like applying tourniquets and bouncing 60 miles an hour in Danger Ranger down 6'11". Like, Hoping you don't hit another yeah, one. Let's send it, man. Like, yeah. let's, yeah. let's not that gap. Yep. Hey, let, let's not blow up today. Like, you know, we've already found so many. And, and then, like, I don't know, you, you get farther down it and you just go, you know what? Like, dudes are getting hit so much that it became very apparent their primary was the pressure plate and their secondary was if they don't hit the pressure plates, then we shoot at them to, like you said, make a move Scatter to Scatter them. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, okay. they're good. They're not stupid. They'll no. they, they watch you every day, all day long, the, and learn you. The phrase that best prepared me for the entire time in Afghanistan was the dumb ones are dead. The dumb ones are already dead. The ones you're going to fight are not Yeah, we already dumb. killed the stupid ones. Yep. Mm-hmm. They, not we, but we as yeah. in our forces. Uh, yeah, man. And, 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 and that's another thing. We talked about this in, in the, in the uh, episode that we released about Afghanistan weeks ago. But one thing that was, that was very uh, strange to me during the during the evacuation and withdrawal and the things I've seen on social media were things like, so what we left all that equipment? You think they're smart enough to use it? It's like, yep, I think they're smart enough to hang somebody from the skids of that Blackhawk on the first hour. That's yep. what I think. And then it happened. And it's like, for some reason, the, 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 I think it's like the greater American population, they know war is in Hollywood. They know the romanticized portion of war, and I understand why we do that. We need to romanticize it to bring young, dumb, 18-year-old kids in that don't know what they're doing, right? Check. There's a reason. But when it falls apart in real life, this is, this is how the war story it's ends in, in reality. Yeah. And then all the people that only see war through the romanticized Hollywood version of it, they freak out. They're like, look what they're doing. Yeah. What did you think they were doing for the last 20 years? Hey, I'm sorry to tell you this. That's pretty normal. Like, and this is kind of like, this was moderate compared to the withdrawal from Sangon, or, uh, Saigon. Saigon, yeah. Not, I got Sangin and Saigon mixed up. Uh, but Saigon, yeah, it looked the same, but that was a lot worse there. This is like, this is better than the last time we did this. It's not right. only slightly, and could it have been even better? Probably. We're waiting on the Marine Corps and the powers to be to critique that you know, even still today, I'm sure. So, so something with that, that I, kind of the way I was going, but it also applies to this is like another thing I got out of 
the way they were hitting us and the way we were dealing with things was one of the biggest lessons I took away from it was the enemy chooses when they shoot at you Mm -hmm. because they know something you don't know. Mm. And with this whole withdrawal and with the Taliban working side by side, essentially with U.S. and NATO forces for the withdrawal and like, hey, like it or not, the enemy chooses when they shoot at you and they choose when they don't. And like, regardless of political affiliation, like they've got a say in when things go wrong too, whether Mm -hmm. that's ISIS-K, whether that's Taliban, whether it's whatever. Mm -hmm. And like in life in general, when things go wrong, you know, it's it's from an origin. Like, you don't control that. Like, you don't control that. Somebody else is you controlling react to and they that. chose that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's generally because they know something you don't know. If they're waiting for a gap, they're waiting for a soft target, they're waiting for whatever, like, that's their choice. And you can't stop it. Mm-hmm. You can react to it. You can be trained to try to intercept it. But they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 yeah, man, there's, there's no way to stop that. So... You land in, uh, was it Nole? Yeah. Am we, I saying that right? Yeah, we were down at Fob Nole uh, initially. Okay. So we, we get down there. Uh, we take over a couple of the patrol bases. We're essentially ripping with 3-7. They got there about two weeks before us. And was 3-2, when did 3-2 come into Sangin? I Not, not while you were there. Yeah, okay, not okay, we Roger. 3-7 uh, was the first American unit in there. Uh, I mean, I think the history books credit 3-5 with it, uh, but like, Real talk, 3-7 was there for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks before us. And they started to, the process. But when they got there, they were turning over with the Brits. And the Brits patrolling effort is very different than the U.S. Way patrolling different. effort. And so quite literally, you would step out your gate and look up and there's a white Taliban flag and people would start shooting. And you were like, come on, man. Like, yeah. like there was there was <laughs> patrol bases that had to gunfight their way out of their, out of their house every day. And it was mm-hmm. like, this is ridiculous. So we take over these PBs and we start, you know, assuming roles. We start going out and trying to essentially, hey, we're, let's expand the bubble. Let's push some security out. Let's start owning more more land. Let the Taliban know they no longer own this city. And the first process to that was essentially mine clearing yeah. because the whole place was a minefield because it was ground that had been fought over by NATO for years. And it was not the first time. I think it was the 82nd or the 101st pushed through Sangin back in like 2005 before the Brits got there. And mm-hmm. so like... It's been fought over and then essentially abandoned. And the Taliban came back and was like, all right, well, we know what to do if it happens again. Yep, we're keeping it this time, yeah. And so we push out, and uh, I'm the junior squad leader, so I drew the short straw. And they're like, we need somebody to run the uh, QRF section for the company. And I was like, shit, I don't know anything about trucks. And they're like, well, time to learn. So we force tracker up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. And as dumb as it sounds, I had accidentally got sent to a Blue Force Trackers Operators course years before. So Funny I was how like, those things happen. I was like, FBCB2. Yep. <laughs> I know I know the password. <laughs> I was like, all right. Like, I think there's a little uh, marine acronym that goes with is. that. We're not going <laughs> to mention that. If you know, you know. Yep. But uh, so I take over this QRF section. And um, again, I got eight guys in my squad. I'm like, I got three trucks. Like eight guys is not enough guys and they're like all right we'll figure it out i'm like great message to so, garcia yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> for all intents and purposes i become like the company qrf section like your like, jump right. basically yeah. yeah but i'm the qrf section and i'm psd and i'm jump and i'm uh we're log. doing crypto roller, you're wearing multiple hats and we're log log trains yeah we're anything that required wheels yeah which like hey that's fine except there's only so many hours in a day and you generally have multiple sections running all those yep, things. Yep. 
And so like I tell people, I explain like, hey, yeah, we would run like 36 hour days. And people are like, oh, you mean just long ass days? I'm like, no. Yeah. Well, like, like that's more than one. 36 hour days, days because we'd get back and you would like rotate who's taking 50 minute cat naps. Our SOP was you get back, you break the guns off the truck one at a time and you clean them. Then like one dude sleeps, everybody else is cleaning guns. You get them up and you just rotate like 15, yep. 20 minutes and then you have to go back out. And it was ridiculous. There, there's something to be said about having to... There's something to be said about about that because that happens like when there's real war and there's real battles going on, real engagements going on with the enemy, you have to do things that you never had to do in training. Case in point, you probably never had to rotate people on a 15-minute schedule to clean guns and be safe. I never had to set people down from adrenaline dumps. I had to do that in Marja. My guys would be fighting and have so much chemical cocktail dropping in their spinal column that they would literally were like... I need to rest. And literally, some of them, Just this, pass out. this one's pants got damn near sucked off of him in our insert because we insert into a mudded, uh, flooded poppy field and literally sucked packs into that that never came out, yeah. that we never recovered. And and it was like, I don't know, 30 degree, 38 degrees and sleety rain on us when, you know, for like the first two nights or something. And so I had guys that literally during first contact were down in a war, like inside of a mud hut in a compound that we took over doc built him a warming fire trying to shake hypothermia it's like i never you don't pre- like you don't prepare for that in training no, the ranges we do everybody's in the fight everybody buddy rushes everybody gets to the uh objective you know after about 200 meters and we yeah. stop we consolidate all right get up face right run off the range like yeah. that's how it works in this yep. situation my squad came into a flooded poppy field everybody's soaking wet i have six weapons that can fire including mine and <laughs> dude that was a morning you know as soon as our chopper was gone, we had AC-130 circling, dropping the big 55-gallon uh, barrels of IR illumination. Oh, yeah. Never seen them to that point in my career. They light up uh, 700 by 700-meter 700 uh, space daylight in your MVGs. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, what in the hell is going on? And then, like, I'm trying to get everybody out of the mud. Everybody's stuck. And then the big bird calls down, two, 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 two. Be advised, you have a platoon-sized enemy element closing from the north at 300 meters. Look at the round hay bales in the field over. Well, my JTAC, an officer, captain, stuck in the mud, lips quivering. His radio the whole time's on blast, so everybody in the chalk that's trying to quietly slop out of the mud hears this, and everybody's like, snap, to the north. And sure as fucking shit, they're just like a rats, man, coming across this field. You can see the warhead RPGs sticking up off their back. Some of them carrying machine guns. And I look at, I look at right uh, my platoon sergeant. And I'm like, "Yo, we got to do something about this situation now." We get back us out, or uh, whoever it was that was our JTAC out of the mud. He gets up and we call in skids. So skids released from the IP because in my mind I'm like, "Screw it." Got positive identification coming towards me. I got six guns. They're clearly outnumbered, uh, but I'm still going to use helicopters. As the helicopters release from the IP and they're coming hot, they've been cleared hot and they're coming in. I'm aimed, or like I'm watching these guys through my nods. I'm about to watch the show, right? And uh, IR uh, Firefly Firefly goes off on the point, man. And it's like abort, 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 because it's our partnered ANA that landed in the wrong area and decided to keep their the one thing that tells me who they are turned off for like <laughs> half the movement. I told Woundy, he was a Woundy Goal. Yeah. He was my partner. He was my counterpart. And I'm like, hey, whatever you do, 
that firefly goes on as soon as you step off. Well, what did he tell me? He forgot. I forgot. Okay. You about got ran. You, you almost forgot to be alive. You almost, yeah. met, you almost met a minigun up close. And, and you know the Cobra pilots. We talked about this in that episode. The Cobra pilots are like, how did you get an IR, IR Firefly yeah, yeah. on them? That are, is like the best mark I've ever seen in my Roger, life. Roger, tally-ho, we see him. Are you painting the enemy with a like, flicker? No, we, we're not. Please don't we, kill him again. Like, we, just disregard last. Yeah, By but, the way, I quit in that mud he, that morning. He verbalized it. He verbalized it. So I quit it, and it, then didn't. Everybody quits tomorrow. That's yeah. all you got to do. Just yeah. quit tomorrow. Next time. Yep. I'll quit next time. Yep. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, I'm running this QRF section. We're running uh, just all the time. And, and it was wild because it was. It, we and tr- you had guys on the ground running too, I'm sure, right? Guys that were so, just patrolling or. So, yes and no. Like, we would supplement, but for the most part, like, we were just running mounted because we were running so constant. It was like, yeah. this is all, this is almost all we're doing. Mm-hmm. The problem is it would turn into like, hey, we need QRF out at, you know, PB, whatever. So we drive out there, pull the gun trucks up to the walls, we got two fifties and a mark and just supplement while we're offloading. And then like, all right guys, like now that you got your dopamine dump for the day, like get back in. We got to leave. Cause somebody just took a casualty, drive up the road. Hey, marked by yellow smoke. All right, pick them up. We don't have space in here. Put them in the back of a Matt V. All right. Hey, let's roll dude. Sorry about your leg boss. Like we got to go. Uh, we didn't have corpsman support. So like, you know, convoy commander, vehicle commander. You had three corpsmen attached to you and you didn't we get had, any We of had them pushed out to the PBs because gotcha. that's where they needed them. Yeah, yeah, Because, yeah. like, that's where they needed them. Yep. And, you know, we were, we had one coming. But, uh. Tomorrow? Yeah. We had one coming. <laughs> when he got there, uh, he was a, we'll call him a blue side corpsman. Yeah. Um, and he was very good at being not around the QRF trucks when we needed QRF. So we, we had corpsman support. We didn't have corpsman. Well, all uh, of you were CLS present. certified though. So yeah. that was good. So Doc Finney up. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> uh, there, there's some guys, the heart's still beating that'll attest to that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Hey, but, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a, a trained doctor to save somebody's life over there or a corpsman. Sometimes it can be, can you get the tourniquet on in less than a minute? Uh, well, and so for the most part, like it, most of what I did was stabilization and like hey, the docs did the work on the ground. They, we get them in the trucks and then I'm just like, did you run a lot of medevacs with trucks? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think I ran 18 urgent surgical. Um, it's so crazy to me that they wouldn't land a bird for that. So a lot of it was compounds or, or the birds wouldn't get there. Uh, you could like, get there quicker. Yeah. We could get there quicker because we had a fairly small AO because it hadn't been occupied yeah, but did you have like a level one trauma center back at whatever cop you were we at did not and uh, so where they, are you taking they them got us a shock trauma platoon partway through the deployment up to fob jackson uh right around december and i know that because there was some confusion in that process and the worst medevac i've ever run not proud of occurred because of the confusion of where the shock trauma center was or the fact mm-hmm. that it existed mm-hmm. uh but so basically we would run them back to the nearest fob and they would just have the bird meet there because it was a secure site where like gotcha. we could just haul ass up the highway get there drop the dude off straight from truck to bird and get him out of there yeah so that was that was quicker that, than that's, trying that's to good then. be ha- half of our ao was city with 15 like essentially city with 15 foot high compound walls and yeah. like where are you gonna put them i saw some pedros do some i, I was talking actually with my uh, my current ceo today about essentially like i wanted to physically vomit after a dude got hit and it had nothing to do with that it's nighttime and I watched a pilot put a, a 53 inside a compound, rotors like clipping the walls to come get this guy down. And I was like, physically, I was like, I'm going to puke because this is about to go so bad. And then I thought the, he was going to catch the nuts on that guy. 
And what he, is it about helicopter pilots? It's like they're the grunts of the air cab. Like ever since Vietnam, they're they're in, insanely brazen on what they new, will do with those. Whole new respect for pilots. Bro, oh, yeah. Holy, bro, I learned about respect for uh, for pilots in Marja because they're dude dust off crew. The, oh yeah, the dust off crew when they come in to pick up a casualty. They're the chillest, calmest. Like we Just talked like, about it. Hey, dude, how you going? Hey, what's his day? Yeah, he's good. All right, man. See you later. Warm. And you're like, that's amazing. Uh, it's amazing that you can come in in this hail of gunfire and not be in it. Like, I understand people that are in it all the time, like, because you get desensitized. These dudes go back and forth every day and then just jump out under fire, act completely cool, and zip away. And every, uh, cas- uh, as every Kazavak that we ran... There was smoke between the skids. Didn't matter where we put it. They were coming right on top of it. And, uh, yeah, dude, a whole new respect. And you have their x-ray come in with them and bank 90 degrees sideways. And they got the guy standing on the door. Full sends only. It's like, nice. Thanks, man. I appreciate appreciate all of this. (laughs) Don't forget. If I ever see you in life, I will buy you a beer for this. Don't forget to uh, get your wheelbarrow when you get back to base for your balls that you yeah. have to carry around. Yeah. Like, your, <laughs> your balls and that big old ego to get through the door. Wheel those in, yeah. Um, what was... Okay, so you just said you ran a shitload of urgent surgicals. You're you're clearly facing danger, immense danger on a, on a sometimes hourly basis pretty stiff throughout your deployment in Sengen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I looked up the definition of valor and the reason I'm going to bring this up is, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if people use that word in like regular language. Like you don't hear a business executive talk about valor when well, there's a reason, right? Because it's weird. Uh, according to the dictionary, great courage in the face of danger, especially in battle, and the best definition, according to Miriam, strength of mind and spirit that enables a person to have great strength and constitution and firm constitution in the face of danger. And it's like, yep, that's okay. So if that's valor, you were doing valorous shit the entire time. Any Marine that is inundated with that much combat is going to be faced with making the, like those types of decisions. And uh, I I don't, I think it was mad dog that said that, uh, that valor or bravery was the, ability to remain calm and present of mind in the face of overwhelming um, catastrophe. Okay, that's a good, that's a pretty good way. To, just about anything that man says regarding war. People, uh, people are going to agree with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that's pretty good. And, and uh, obviously in, in the actions that you took, not obviously, but to the viewers, the actions that you took yielded you a Valor device uh, on an on a pretty pretty stout award and i guess the award you could you could say the award could go either way but when the award comes with a v the award usually means that it maybe was one of the most memorable memorable days of your life and usually um usually not for good reasons right yeah i mean it's prideful but the reason i say that's like dakota meyer said it before that a lot of people want to talk to him about the medal of honor or they want to talk about the, the days he got a v or the day he got a star you want to talk to these decorated guys but really what you want to talk about is maybe some of the worst times of their entire life yeah maybe the worst times and so on this podcast and i'm going to let you breathe on this but i want to get it out my goal because we're all war fighters sitting here and when somebody comes in and they're war fighters war fighters talk differently to one another 
my goal would be to bring up the things that citizens in the American population were always told not to ask. The reason, and there's a reason, you're told not to ask them for a reason yeah. back in the day. Got it, check. But when you, going forward, in my opinion, it is necessary for the at least the population that wants to know what is real and what is not what is not real how the emotions feel what emotions come with it what you you know just like have you ever killed a person that's something you're taught not to ask somebody what was it like what you don't you're taught not to talk about these things but i find it necessary because i think if you keep that sheltered from the american population long enough those young kids that didn't ask that question well they become senators and congressmen right and And then they're decision makers and they don't understand they don't understand it. And and then what you have is a, a big divide, a military and civilian divide and separation. And that to me seems like it could have the propensity to cause problems and seems to have caused problems in not only the near past, but the far past as well. Right. And so that's why I ask. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, our, our BC, when we were combat instructors back in the day, hit me up one day and he was like, Hey, uh, he was like, oh, you were three, five and singing. And I was like, uh, yes, sir. And he says, I'm oh, sorry to hear that. And I was like, fuck, man. Like, I'm not. Like, that was the best and worst time of my life. Mm-hmm. I got to do everything I was absolutely trained for. Mm-hmm. And I, we talk about, you know, awards. We talk about recognition. And uh, I got I got two separate, uh, we'll call them recognitions on that on that deployment. And one of them was for the medevacs and the QRF and and, and essentially that and that was more of the worst days uh, than the other one was uh, that came with a uh, with Valor, um, because it was just continuously having to deal with running medevacs mm-hmm. and things that had already happened, and it was just shitty. Because when you roll up on a guy and you're like, "What's up, Tommy? Like, good to see you, man. You doing okay?" and like. You know, guys thrashed mm-hmm. or you get called after the fact, after a gunfight and like the worst day of that deployment that, I mean, there's two that compete with each other pretty close, but I think the worst one was hearing a zap number come over the radio and then, uh, recognizing his zap number, even though I didn't know the guy's last four and then having to go pick up my best friend's body and Hey, we can't get trucks out there. So I'm carrying a stretcher for probably half a mile with guys still shooting just pissed off mm-hmm. like and just knowing like this is my guy right here like this is not fair you know like this is not how it's supposed to be and like that's what you get an award for like that's, that's what i'm talking about that's what yeah. sucks yeah. and and people are like oh you have awards like those are super cool and you're like yeah yeah man. and that is the con- that's the disconnect yep it's like you need to realize yeah okay so that guy's got some some things on his chest but and, and I think the Marine Corps as an establishment knew what they were doing. That's all for a purpose because a lot of the things that you get on your chest are from the worst points in time. And they, they need to go, yep, that's what we need you to do. That bad shit, we're going to award you for that. And because then it comes with like, oh, this is good. It's a good emotion that I did those things or that I lost those people. And that is good. And I'm just saying it's by design. And I think correctly by design, it's that way. But um, yeah, man, you got V's and stars on your on your chest it was from the worst days of your life arguably and and people that have multiple v's on their chest had multiple worst days of their life arguably um yeah huge man so uh you went to sangin and you 
you were firm and and steadfast in your constitution and and you led your marines you you did your thing and and i mean i I would like to think so and one one thing that you know everybody wants to be tested everybody wants to be put in that position where they've got to like i've been trained for this what happens when things go wrong Mm -hmm. am i like you said you don't want to look like a bitch yeah. Like if I get hit, what what happens? If I get into a gunfight, what happens? Hey, if my boy gets hit, what happens? Mm. How am I going to be? Am I going to be steadfast? Am I going to have this? The, am I going to have the guts? And everybody thinks that right and before everybody. It. Everybody wonders like, when I get hit, what's going to happen? What am I going to? Because it's when. It's not if. It's when. Yeah. And I I don't know. I mean, like, did you think about that too actively while you were there? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Because in my head, it was the same thing. I was like, man, if I get hit, I better not be a bitch about it. Yeah. Like, you I just better not. Be, just be a lion. <laughs> but, but but you don't know what's going to happen yep. until it happens. Like, you don't know what you're going to do when a lion walks into the room until the lion walks into the fucking room. Like, that's it. Yep. Like, that's you right. can talk about it all day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm going to fight happens, a shark. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm going to punch that shark in the face. Are you now? Here's the shark. Oh, shit. Like, mm-hmm. that's how it works. And so, like, I don't know. Like, I arguably, like, the day that I, you know, Got another recognition for part part of the reason I got that was like it was a day where I got to meet myself and find some things out. Mm. And like, all right, hey, end of the day, I'm the only one who got hit, and I was mad. And I was like, all right, cool. My response is anger. That's sweet. Like, <laughs> I was like Marines do that good. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, like sweet. Like that was like emboldening. I'm like, all right. And was it shot or was it blown up? No, I got blown up. Okay. I got lucky as fuck. Yeah. Like in all honesty, like pure luck. Uh, Anal or. Uh, yeah, so yeah, two two uh, stacked jugs, two stacked twenty pound jugs of HME with, with uh, ammonium nitrate aluminum powder. Uh, I was standing on top of him. Dude set it off. or in the middle of a gunfight. Control. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, if I'd been pay- if I'd been paying attention, I looked to my right. I probably wouldn't trigger seen him. man. But I was looking down the road, shooting a guy in the street. Oh, you were actively engaged. Yeah, then and, I was going to uh, say, did you guys do V sweeps or anything like that? But if you're engaged, probably yeah, not. So I'm I'm focused on dude in the street. His buddy down the uh, down the alleyway sets it off. And think about that ambush. He fixed you right over the target area, which was probably marked, Again, like they, you said. They, they choose where they shoot at you. And like, then... They, they they have a say in it, too. But uh, I got lucky. The bottom jug went off. The top one didn't. Top one absorbed a ton of the blast. So I took, fragged uh, my legs, my hip, lost some little pieces out here and there, shoulder, mm-hmm. face, chest. But like for all intents and purposes, like I'm laying there in a hole looking around, and I was like, I'm, I'm, It didn't kill me. I'm okay. Yeah. Like, kind of like... Start feeling how low are they? Yeah, I, was like, I still got them. This is awesome. Like, yeah, good news. Yeah, because you like, probably hey, at, at first thought maybe they were gone, huh? Yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, this is this is it, a good day. It's yeah, it's funny. It's good, right? <laughs> yeah, because it's funny because uh, one of the ongoing things that every combat friend that I have, Jay, uh, Matt, uh, Steve, all my guys, like one of our things is, did it kill you though? Oh, okay. <laughs> Because it didn't did kill you, you then you're okay. <laughs> yeah. But did you die, bro? You did. So stop bitching about it. Like we'd be we'd be petty as fuck oh, bitching yeah. about fishing. Like we didn't catch fish. <laughs> yeah, but did it kill you, bro? No. Uh, okay. It, like because when you've been, when you've met yourself, finally met yourself in the arena, the ultimate arena, then you can say, mm. you have a different perspective on oh, things yeah. because it's like, no, it, yeah, it didn't kill me. Check, Roger. It and was. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, if it's your time, Let's it's go. your time. If it's not, it's not. And reconciling that makes life a whole lot easier. It, it does. Like, it it, it right. will not make sense. You won't, it doesn't you won't, have to make you sense. You won't be able to make sense of it, but it doesn't have to. We uh, we we were cruising down a road one day on foot. And we go down uh, what we refer to as Ballsack Road. 
because of the shape of it. It was little. Looked like a ball sack. Yeah, looked like a ball sack. <laughs> and uh, we we find a command wire. We realize it's stretching somewhere in the patrol. Uh, and we're like, well, we're not going to cut it because they have anti-tamper. We're like, all right, we'll call EOD. Nobody move because if it's not set off yet, nobody's standing on it. Mm-hmm. So everybody just stay where we're at. Cool, set up security. EOD gets there. They come walking down the road. They go to like trace the wire, and the guy sets it off. And it's seven seven jugs buried up and down the road. And just, Daisy chain? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the whole road just gone. Turned over. And everybody's you know laying on their backs, just tasting that nasty aluminum mud, just fuck. Mm-hmm. Kind of like sit up, look around, like shake it off. Like, I'm good. Like, look over. I'm like, hey, like, dude, you good? Like, I'm good. Like, are you good? I'm good. Like, how are we good? Like, Bro. Where's the EOD text? How many like, times, Matt? Did we get, like, dude? Was, I can relate because they're just the machine gun bunkers we talked about. Yeah. Six cat holes, PKM, and every one of them. And we did. We were the support by fire fixing element, and they did action left or an action right on it with the other two squads. And it's like we we didn't take one marine hit. The guy running right next to me and Matt was a A and A commander. We're running up to this wall, and I see his boots come up in front of him, like his. We're running, okay. and his boots come up in front of him, and his body hits. Takes it right to the face. Wow. Just takes him. They get him medevac. The motherfuckers fighting with us six weeks later. I kid you not. It went in his like nasal area cavity oh, yeah. and came out his ear. And their, uh, their light duty chits don't really come in over there. For I the love how resilient the human body is. Dude, it's insane. It's really hard to kill a human being. <laughs> like, oh, man. I love it. it I love it. And like seeing that is like, oh, because you're still fighting. It's like oh. you just seen that dude get rocked. And then... <laughs> And then you just keep going and you waiting for it, right? There were several times where I was just waiting, like even actively engaged, but just knowing. And then it doesn't come. The anticipation you, waiting for that punch and you're just. Yeah, dude. Like, where that, is it? That day crossing the open, the open step when we raced. Oh, man. Yeah. So when we lost Hanson, Camp Hanson was named after him shortly after what we were all just talking about. But there was like we had to clear this whole interconnected village out more to the last compound that's not connected. Yeah. So it's 50 meter gap from compound wall to compound wall. <laughs> Might've been further. <laughs> felt it, further. It felt way felt further. further. <laughs> Pretty sure it was 50, but it might've been more. Uh, it's a goddamn marathon. <laughs> yeah. But there was, I was clear and holding this whole thing and I was down to four people, myself, him and two EOD techs. All my guys were scattered holding. Got to shoot this gap. They took mopeds to the north 400 meters, turned around with PKMs, and are bursting through the gap. Not Nobody in it, but they're just letting us know, I guess. They just know. Hey, guess we what? We own this. You're not crossing that. They don't own it. Yeah, and so I walked up to him, and I'm like, last one across, you know, it was a rotten egg, and, like, slapped him on the chest to take off because I knew he was faster than me, and he still passed me. Boom, boom, boom. As he passes me, he's maybe, like, I don't know, two yards in front of me. A burst rips in between us. Wah, 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 all the sand and i know it all happened in milliseconds but in my head i went there went my knees and ankles and then i made it to the other side he j hooks comes out wah, wah, wah. and i'm like i have no recollection of it some close quarters things happen with a dog and then and a guy coming around a corner way too hot in the middle of a gunfight. And then I looked at him. I'm like, dude, I have to shit right now <laughs> like i just you know i turned somebody over with 15 rounds and it's like I got to go right now and look down and there's what there's two cinder blocks and they're yeah. like butt cheek distance apart. And I'm like, gah, <laughs> never seen another oh, yeah. cinder block ever in the country. And I sit down on these two cinder blocks and like spread cheeks and I'm just holding the doorway. I'm like, <laughs> I got your back. You got the front. Like, 
bad then, times. Then you hear EOD <laughs> running across the gap as they're getting shot at, and they're just laughing because they're best baked. And best and worst times of your life. That's yep. what I. Best that's what I say. Times of your life. When I look back, I always smile. And Grimes. Sometimes too. I cry, but I always smile about the thing, the the, the people. So. So further in my career, I ended up at Marine Barracks, Washington, and they, that, e- they end every Friday night parade with taps. Mm. And I smile every time because it's nothing but good memories. I read that on your, uh, on your social media, and I, I think that's the right way to think about it. Because, it's nothing but good memories. That's you know, it. Taps is hard for me. Uh, oh, it, it, it's rough. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, but that's the right way to ahead. try to think about it, to, to attempt to think about it. That. Just those tones, man, do something oh, yeah. to a Marine uh, or to any serviceman uh, that's been there. But then when you're, uh, you know, for me, I guess for me with, with some of the guys in 3-6 from Marja, it was like like Hanson and Courier and, and the guys that we lost there. Um, I came so late I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. I was learning my guys' names on the push. Uh, the squad that I was leading, literally learning their names. And so I didn't have the personal connection. But I oh, there's always that personal marine connection, oh, yeah. or friendly forces combatant connection. And when they did the they did the memorial, you know, like a month after he passed, op tempo slowed down. They finally brought everybody in. Oh yeah. And it's like that's, you know, you don't even hear taps. Then they don't blow the horn in combat, but they do roll call, and roll call jacks me up. And then usually taps companies that. I, if, and I, so, if I know a roll call's coming, I try and leave. Yeah, roll I'll call. Try and, leave. And, like, and, and and that's. Roll call's rough. And so for those yeah. of you that don't know, I'm not going to go into the theatricals of it because it, if you know, you know. But basically, roll call. So when you do a memorial, um, in our in our situation, we had... Uh, 11 or 12 guys? Nine. Nine. Okay, so we had nine, battalion. nine at that point. And so it's, uh, you know, the cross rifle or the cross wooden cross memorials uh, boots at a 45-degree angle. Uh, just as when you come in the Marine Corps, you step on some yellow footprints, so boots at the Marine, you know, 45, the cross comes up, a Kevlar is placed, a rifle's placed uh, with a bayonet affixed and a sandbag, and, uh, and then over the um, pistol grip or magazine, depends on the situation, but usually pistol grip, the, the fallen dog tags go over that as a way, and we bring it in, and then, you know, I'm sure every unit or every person has their own way of uh, going about that for us it was all you know lined up and then you got to go and pay your final respects a lot of guys will grab the tags or put a hand on the kevlar and so roll call is simply you know you everybody's called to attention and just like if you were in a roll call in school some names get read off and typically it's you know two or three names will be read off of men that are in attendance and they'll you know present after their name and then a name will be called you know lance corporal so-and-so and it's crickets. And then with a more stern voice, usually the first sergeant, Sergeant Major, Lance Corporal so-and-so. And everybody, and at that point, usually in a roll call, I'm at that point, I'm checking into some waterworks and putting some Oakleys over my face. Or, I just got goosebumps and you didn't even say a name. Yeah, and then, so then it becomes like Lance Corporal, blah, 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 first, middle, last, and, and then it's crickets, and then a ding, they ding a bell and they record them as, you know, fallen. And that for me is, yeah, cold chills. And the way you think about it, you get, you should be trying to remember the best parts of that and the valor, courage, uh, 
and the good, the light that that person was. And if you can hold that, then maybe maybe you stand half a chance during a roll call. Oh, yeah. But taps is taps is hard for me too in that same way. And again, I agree with the way you look at it. I, yes, because you should be. That should be good because that is. I talked to him. I couldn't think of a more honorable way to die than oh. to fight for your country and your brothers. That's, like I couldn't. I, you can't top that. I, I wrote a piece a while back, and you may have read it, may not have. It was a two-part one about the warrior wishing death. And mm. we, we all wish for death. Mm. I can send it to you sometime. But like, well, it goes all the way back to the Spartan and, and code. That's kind of what it talks about. Now it's it's so brutal that like we we want this, like the warrior class and like this is something we seek mm-hmm. and people are like, well, like why, why do you feel so bad about like, you know, your, your brother's dying, your sister's dying, whatever. And like, because the warrior wishes death, we do not want to grow old and crippled by old age. And I want to, I don't want to find myself mm. using a walker, can't make it across the room. And like, I used to be somebody I used to mm. make it. I want to die painting on the canvas, the art of war. I mm. like, this is it. I, that's what I want to do. Mm. I am a warrior. I'm a professional. That is what I'm designed and meant to do. Mm. And like anything else just seems unjust. It doesn't to, seem fair that I would go mm. out and depends with somebody picking drool up off my face. How unfair <laughs> that I went and I gave everything I had and I did not find, you know, I mean, obviously warfare has changed. Sure. But the romanticized, like old school, man on man, swords clashing, strength, just attrition warfare. How unfair that I did not find a worthy opponent. And now I'm resigned to die on a deathbed, old and frail, and stripped of my power and my strength <laughs> and my sanity, and left only with the haunting memories of my dead friends. Mm. How how fucking unfair is that? It's not like that. Like. My you, you see the old guy shuffling around town with the red retired USMC, and people look at him like, ah, like, and you just go, that guy is somebody. That guy's a know what fucking that war fighter. That guy right. is a legend, and nobody knows it mm-hmm. because what you what you see is what you get. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I like. I never want to be that, and it's no disrespect to the guys who are like they, it's not. They're fighters and, or survivors, but. and it's your penance for being good at your yeah. job. So the warrior wishes for death. It's almost like we have a great military in, in, in the hopes to never use it. The warrior wishes for death, but if he does his job right, he doesn't per- get it. He's not going to get it, or the chances of him getting it are lower. Like I, I, like every you know serviceman that went over and, and did some stuff, you probably at some point wrote a note home. Oh yeah, about you know like for me it was don't pity. Don't pity this because I died with a full fucking heart next to exactly the people that I wanted to die with. So honor that. Bury me with the rest of them in Arlington and let me be honored there because that's where I wanted to be. Like, oh, put yeah. me there. Give me a white one. Don't care what row because right now I'm amongst the best warriors that ever lived, ever. You know, and and I talk about it in the episodes a lot that a lot of people – it can it can be like a flash of an eye, a blink of an eye, be like a flash, and your career's over, and you didn't even realize the giants that you walked beside, and amongst giants, and instead we have a class of people who wants to make those giant sports figures and uh, celebrities and stuff, and it's like you have these animals right here, like some of the most honorable men that ever walked the face of the earth, and you don't even know it. I prefer it. I don't want you looking so close at me and my business. And the, it, it's the, not. It's not the individual. No, it's 
I prefer I prefer the individual to stay anonymous out of your sight, but the, as an institution, the, you the, should know that these people exist. The application of focused violence against those who need it, the bad people who need bad treatment, I prefer if nobody's watching. <laughs> I would say I, I probably would have said that when I was younger, except I think that the American people by our rules have a right to know what we're doing. I don't like that, but I think it's right. I don't like combat correspondence and people coming over and traveling with us, but I think it's correct. But that's also messaging and like, Hey, I absolutely believe in exposure and not like hiding anything. Sure. Right? There's a terrible joke of like, Hey, the first time it ain't a war crime, but <laughs> <laughs> not funny. Kind of yeah, funny, but, kind of funny. But like, it's not about that. It's not about hiding things that like misconduct. It's about like the romanticized version is almost what we want people to believe. Yep. Because that is the messaging that gets guys recruited. That is the messaging. Like that keeps people from feeling so damn bad for us. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. did what? Mm -hmm. You did what? You dealt with what? Like, you know what? Don't pity me. But the off, the off chance is when for some reason a withdrawal from Afghanistan illuminates what really goes on to the rest of the world. And then the rest of the world has been so caught up in the movies and in Hollywood wars that they're like, what, they're they're baffled. They don't realize evil like yeah. this exists. And so for me, I used to say, yes, yeah, better they don't know. How great is it that we're so free that they don't even know that it's real? That used to oh, be. Oh, that's me. absolutely fair. And but, now from yes, but, and, and I preferred it. But now for me, it's like, I fear that too much more long-term not knowing what you're doing creates situations like we had in Afghanistan's withdrawal because you're so dissociated and you're trying to make these political points and you're trying to push this political agenda or whatever it is on both sides. They both, yeah. they all do it. Everybody does, but they lose sight of the guy that's burning shit and living in a, you know, a flea and fly and shit infested house on your behalf no. and losing his buddies and picking them up and never says, you know, he just says, can I get some more? Let's go, let's go do it. And so, uh, for me, it's like, mm, I think the civilian-military divide needs to be closed a little bit, especially since civilians are ultimately in control of what the armed forces do and don't do, restrictions they have and don't have. I think there's a balancing act, a fine one. And, and that's it. I just fear where that line is, and I don't know where the line is. Yeah, and that's one of those. It, it's a blurry, and it's a, it's a slippery slope. But For sure. But either direction. For sure. Slip uphill. But. Well, Matt? Thoughts? Y'all keep pushing. Marine Barracks, Washington. I want to know your, before we close this, I want to know what your feelings were initially going there as a combat guy, as a decorated guy that loves to train, work out, and fight wars, going to do parades and taps every night. So we, uh, we get back from Afghanistan. Uh, we, had, we had a total of 25 killed. Uh, we, I, I don't even know the number, how many amputations, how many wounded, like it was, we were a skeleton when Bad we got times. back. Yeah. Physically, mentally as a battalion, we were a skeleton, but a dark horse is proud and like bound to nobody, mm -hmm. uh, decided it's time to take a break from the fleet. Uh, became a combat instructor where I met you over, yep, yep. volunteered for SY East, left East, uh, uh after a couple of years. I uh, got sent over to 2-2 here on the East Coast. I was a platoon sergeant there doing God's work. We go on another UDP. And on that UDP, I'm, I'm like, yeah, hey, I should get two deployments out of this unit. I just came <laughs> off a non-deployable SDA. 
uh, my MOL pops MCC code 233. And I'm like, that's doesn't have a V in it. I don't know what that is. No like, victory that's not, unit like, that's, that's not an infantry <laughs> unit. What is that? I'm like, I've never heard of this. So I literally Google it. And I see a picture of Marine Barracks, Washington. And I was like, first art. No. First art, what is this? And he was like, I don't know. And he like, comes over and he's like checking. And he's like, oh. And you're what, he's staff like, sergeant at this and, point? And yeah. I'm a platoon sergeant. I'm a staff sergeant. And he's like, bro, I I think you're going to Marine Barracks, Washington. I was like, no, 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 no not me. That's not a thing. And he's like, ah. Uh, I think you might. It's a thing. He's like, we'll make some phone calls. So we literally make some phone calls and we call the guy who's the Sergeant Major up there. Yeah. And I'm like, you don't want me there. <laughs> this is my mindset going in. You do not want me there. I am not the guy you want there. Like I am cuff sleeves and snapbacks, like throw some cami paint on, like let's go, like let's go to the tree line. Yeah. Like I I do not belong. Like dress dress blue what what? You like, say white pants? I don't even know. Uh, yeah. I don't like, <laughs> and that's it. No, legitimately. I was like in my head, I was like, Do you wear a Charlie shirt and white pants in the summer? I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, This is not me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how this works. And so I'm calling the Sergeant Major. I'm like, Sergeant Major, respectfully, you need to drop me off your inbound roster. Like, I don't belong there. You do not, I'm not the guy. Right. And he's like, Cool. I'll see you in December. <laughs> and I was like, how does this guy not get this? Sounds right. Like, how does he not understand this? I'm an infantry staff sergeant. Like, how dare this sergeant major? I'm like, God, I'm pissed. I'm fighting tooth and nail. Like, so I end up like getting up there and uh, I show up and check in. And uh, I'm in Alpha's check in with the sergeant major. And he's like, Oh, you didn't want to come here? No, no, I didn't want to come here. And he's like, Close the door, sit down. <laughs> I go, God, this is the guy you talked to on the phone. Yeah, there same guy. I'm like, God, here we go. So you want to know how you got here? Like, yes. And he explains to me the process. And basically it's like, hey, fill, like Excel spreadsheet of all the 369s like in the Marine Corps. Filter by height, filter by PFT, filter by this, filter by that. And like it just gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And then the good dude test. And then basically like, he's like, and you didn't want to come here. Like, no. He's like, that's good. That that's means why you need to come you're here. You're not coming here for a break or thinking yeah. you're going to skate. You're going to come here and you're going to work. And I was like, yeah, why? He's like, because you basically get duty preference leaving here, and you're gonna like you're gonna you're gonna learn about this place. I fought tooth and nail. I, the first guy I get paired up with is the, the officer you met on the beach. Boom, phenomenal. That yeah, guy, I could tell within ten minutes of talking to him, I was like, "Yep, I, I I like what I hear." If it was not for him, I might not have survived the barracks strictly because of my attitude going in. It was a poor attitude to have, especially as a staff NCO. But we'll talk like, about that. Like I just I was like I don't want to be here. Like, no, I, I mean, I, why is that? Why, for people listening, maybe junior guys, why is it bad to go in with that attitude? I know the answer. I want you to... You never know the opportunities that are going to arise. You don't know the opportunities that are going to arise, like, when things happen. Mm -hmm. Secondly, they're called orders, not asks. Right. Like, and if you are a professional, if you are truly, if you fancy yourself a professional... You, you follow the orders yep. as long as they're constitutional and legal and they don't compromise your oral, methical, uh, uh, ethical, or moral character. Right. Great. I was mad because I personally did not want to be there, but it's what not was about your, me. What was your choices? Like, if what was your preferences? Like, where did I want to go? I just want to stay in the fleet. Any Victor unit. I was like, send, keep me in the fleet. Send me anywhere that has sand and, and dudes to shoot at. Let's do this. Marine Barracks, Washington. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is as far from the fleet as you can get. This you is didn't the- even pick my third option. You went, you I, went to the law, the I last was, rung. I wasn't even due for orders. Oh, I got man. pulled out of a hat. Oh. I wasn't even due for orders. I had been off of SOI for 15 months. Yeah, you should have had a whole tour. I had 15 months off. When those orders popped, and I was like, 
what? Like, I was still on deployment. Like, I get up there and I get paired up with, uh, with Trey. And that guy, like having a captain platoon commander uh, and being a, being a staff and CEO who you know, had been around for a minute and understood how things work. And his mindset of, like, check it out. Like, he had a phenomenal mindset. Mm. He said, we will not, as a platoon, we will not embarrass the Marine Corps, the institution of the barracks, by failing at a mission. The Marines will drill, and they will drill well. But their MOL says rifleman. It doesn't say ceremonial marcher. We're going to train them to be riflemen. And so mm. we invested. We were going to the field as much as we could. We got these guys writing five-paragraph orders like Lance Corp was Good. on ITB and just started like, nope, get in the classroom, get in the classroom, get in the classroom. Hey, get down to the annex field. We're buddy rushing. Hey, get down here. We're going to work on this. We're going to work on that. Here's a mount SOP. Are and they O3s? They're all O3s. No kidding. And, I didn't know that. And they're all... 90% of them were voluntold to be there because same From as the I beginning. was, same as I was because they fit the physical description. Yeah, they do that screening in uh, boot camp, the presidential Camp that, David. And... That, that's a little different because the, okay. the screener takes longer. They do it at ITB. Okay, okay. They yeah, snatch yeah. guys out of there. I remember seeing them snatching guys out of Oh, yeah. Yeah. But so I'm doing that and uh, I start marching in Friday night parades and learning about those. But the number one mission that people don't know about, and this is what got me, this is what kind of won me over to like, okay. I will do this and I will not complain. I will not like it, but I will not complain. Right. It was funerals. The number one mission that Marine Barracks Washington conducts is funerals at Arlington National Cemetery. Standard funerals, company grade, field grade, and general officer funerals. And mm-hmm. that is like getting stabbed in the chest every time you go do one. Mm-hmm. And you just sit there. And as much as I hated drill and was not good at it and was not. I you was needed like, to honor that. I cannot disrespect. Mm a single service member, Marine specifically, mm. who has fallen in front of their family in, in Arlington National Cemetery. Like, yeah. how dare I? Yeah, how dare I anybody? Like, and mm. I got to do so. I got to do some great ones. PFC uh, Manuel was a repatriated remains. Like, I remember a lot of them. I have a tracker with all their names and all. Like, uh, PFC Manuel is a repatriated from, I believe, Iwo Jima. Uh, Senator John Glenn, when he passed, I got to mm. do that one. Uh, that was amazing. Commandant was uh, Commandant was there, and it was just pouring rain on everybody, and just the discipline, the give a shit, the like, everything just perfect. Yeah. And you just sit there and you go, this, this is the other side of the Marine Corps. Like mm-hmm. this is the, it's all O threes. You got captains out here. You got the Commandant of the Marine Corps out here, ruining uniforms essentially to pay respects to one of our brothers, which is necessary. And I applaud. Yep. Yeah, is, that is phenomenal. And that's a outside of recruiting. The only other job that I would not have wanted to do was either Keiko or funeral services. That kind of stuff is, I wasn't made to do that. If the Marine Corps told me to do it, I'd have done it. I'm glad the Marine Corps didn't ask me to do those things. And so, like it's, it, there's honor in oh it, yeah. but but that's hard. Oh, that's it is. A, that's a hard it is, thing But to like do. you, you kind of you get used to it and you understand like this is the family's only funeral. I hope that they have to go to like this. So mm-hmm. it better be perfect. Yeah. We may be on, you know, number 150. They're on number one. Like it better be perfect. Yep. And it's amazing. Like, uh, so doing that, I tell people, I'll tell people about my experience in Marine Barracks, Washington. Like I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to be there. If they had offered me orders any single day and said, you can leave here tomorrow and go to a victory unit. I would have taken those orders, but I do not regret a single day I spent there. Did it make you a better person? 100%. A better Marine? better staff NCO, better Marine, better human being. Like the crew you meet up there, like one of the tightest knit teams that I have worked with outside of combat Mm -hmm. was quite literally like 
after I finished uh, about a year and a half marching ceremonies and marching funerals and whatnot, they were like, hey, we're moving you over to H&S Company. Yeah, you're a staff sergeant, but you're going to be the H&S Company guy. And I was like, now I'm even farther from the infantry because now I don't even have Marines. I'm an H&S at Marine Barracks, Washington. Like, what are we doing with me? And I was like, I was mad. And I was like, all right, whatever. Again, grow where you're planted. Like, hey, order's not asked. I'm getting this in my head. I'm like, all right, be a professional. I just, I got to survive to get out of here. And apparently I get like duty preference. I can go wherever. Whether that's true or not, you know, still yet to be said. I'm still waiting for those duty mm-hmm. preference. But regardless, I get over there and they're like, hey, everybody has to try out for the parade staff. The five guys in the middle of the parade. And I was like, no says I. <laughs> no says I. I've already marched. I've already done this. I'm not good at it. I don't have time. I'm the H&S company gunning. Like, I'm not doing this. I'm like, look, brother, you got to try out. Got it. We're not going to pick you. I'm like, all right, thanks. Yeah, they pick So I get you. down there, and next thing I know, I'm on the goddamn and you staff. And could, you couldn't force yourself to, <laughs> to mess your steps up. Or... And people said that. They're like, dude, just blow the tryout. You can't. And I was like, professionally, I cannot embarrass myself. I refuse. Like, you're moral. I cannot do that. Yeah, that's morally I like, I can't. fucked up. I was like, I need to trust you that you're not going to pick me. <laughs> like, <laughs> So and you can't. <laughs> lo, lo and behold, it ends up it's myself, a master who's now a master guns, a major who's now a civilian named Eric, <laughs> uh, a chief warrant officer, and a captain. Shout and, out, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> love that guy. He was one of those guys. He made that team. He he was the parade commander, and he Marines do things so they have to, want to, need to. Uh, you have to follow orders. You need to breathe. You need to eat. You have to do what you're told. He made you want to do it. Mm-hmm. He was that type guy, and he was phenomenal. And like, as a field grade officer, who could sit there and be like, "Gunny, come here," like we're doing this and we're doing it again. We're gonna stand at attention for nine minutes and we're not gonna move. Like we're doing this and make you be like, "Okay, we're, we're doing it until we get it right." And it was just brutal. But you're it right. Like, you're right. It wasn't right. But, Let's but, do it again. But that team, like that team of five, like if it had not been for those five, like. I would have lost my mind my last season up there. Mm-hmm. But like working with them, I was like, this is, that's easily one of my favorite teams. We stay in contact. Like they're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because now we're all over the Marine Corps. The Master Guns is down here at 2 Mef. No big deal. Nice. It's tank. <laughs> nice. We'll have to have you bring him on here one day. And shout, talk. Out, shout out to Hector. Shout out Hector. <laughs> awesome. And then so um, I just had one Washington, D.C. Let's separate your service in the Marine Corps and talk about what it was like to be in, around, and inundated with the politics of D.C. Or or were you not? So, we, I actually dodged a lot of that, just barely. Like, so I got there right before uh, former President Trump's inauguration. Didn't have any involvement in it because I was a new guy who didn't understand the, the new drill yet or anything. So I was like, all right, cool, whatever. Mm. Um, and then... We, we don't do a whole lot of political things. Like Everything we do is, is non-political. We do uh, arrivals for foreign dignitaries. Uh, we have senators and people show up, and uh, he came to a couple parades or whatever. But like everything we do is non-political. And then when there are political uh, gatherings like out on the National Mall, like they kind of say, you're not allowed to go out there mm-hmm. because we don't need a Marine being seen out there and being associated. Mm-hmm. But like it's, it's I, very I guess I was. I guess the question was more... Um, it the environment of DC is it? You hear it referred to as a snake pit, and everything there is corrupt, and all these people are running around. But 
then I don't hear that from people that live there. So we were, uh, in all honesty, like we were pretty isolated from that. Okay. Because like the guys all live on post, and then we live down on bases farther south, and so like we didn't really like we so drive you, into you, DC, you we'd thing. work, and we leave. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And then we like we did Wednesdays with Abe. It was nine and a half miles round trip to run out to the Lincoln Monument, which is phenomenal. I used to, to I used to see some of your. Some of your uh, talks and, and and casts while you were out there <laughs> running, especially when it was. I liked the one you did when you uh, you were running it when it was cold, oh. because it was like I don't know. Once in a while, do something you don't want to do. Yeah, like yeah, that's big. That's important. Uh, yeah, do things that make you uncomfortable. Yeah. So you weren't you weren't inundated with politicians and and no. I mean, we we crossed paths and we networked a lot. But as far as like really dealing with any of it, Nothing. like not so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a good thing. I mean, yeah. I'm glad that that's that they're insulated away from and, away and from even them. and even and this this sounds like a shameless plug, but it's just a it's the Marine connection. So when I was uh, getting promoted to gunning, I got selected, and one of one of the Marines we lost in Afghanistan. And it's not that we were best friends. It's not that we were. It was uh, Lieutenant Kelly, General Kelly's uh, son, uh, and while I was up in DC, he became the white house chief of staff. Yeah. And so when I got selected for gunning, I was like, well, that deployment had such an impact on me and I have this weird opportunity. And I reached out and was basically like, Hey, like, I don't want to waste your time. I'm not asking you to be my promoting officer because you're the white house chief of staff. I'd like you to do it because you're a gold star father with promotion authority from that deployment. And again, like he's kind of in a political position, but the Marine connection, the politics dropped off and the guy wow. shows up and just literally was just like, yeah, let's do this. That's John Kelly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just phenomenal showed up, talked no politics, nothing just as a phenomenal, like, and nobody, I don't think he was a political person. No, he was asked to come back and serve and I don't think he could say no, but correct. But like, it didn't come up at all. Yeah, like, that's th- good. It was such an isolated thing. That's like, Hey, the white house chief of staff is here and nobody's like, Oh, Hey, this, Hey, that there's no reporters. There's no, it's just like, you're a Marine and you're here to do Marine things. And, it was and just, he probably loved that just as much as the one, next but the That next was guy. one of the things he said. He was like, I just want to be around Marines. He's like, so I jump at the opportunity. And it was yeah. just like, the, DC also provided me that opportunity. If I had not been in DC, I never would have had that opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. And like, like that had a huge impact on me. Hmm. But, awesome. You leave the barracks. Where are you at now? I'm currently down. So I left the barracks. I uh, left Marine Barracks, Washington, D.C., See, that would have been twenty beginning of twenty twenty. And uh checked into first battalion, second Marines down wow. here on uh Camp Lejeune. And uh checked into old Charlie Company Pale Horse throwing up. Uh ah, shout out Pale Horse. Oh yeah. Went uh went to Okinawa, Japan as the company gunny. Uh we just recently got back and we got dubbed as the Ibex, the infantry battalion experiment. And uh Oh, that's really what they're calling it. That's really what they're the calling it. The infantry battalion experience. And uh, I got pushed over there to be the ops chief for a while, so I played the ops chief game for I guess we looked about six months and then we finally got a mass art, so now I get to be a platoon sergeant. Which is great. Which is phenomenal. Because as a gunny, that's not typical. No, I mean it's supposed to be a staff sergeant and now it's mm-hmm. old force design, the new one has gunnies, and it's awesome because I mean like I don't know how this is gonna play out. I don't know the sustainability of it. I'm not involved in that. You know, that mm. process or, you know, what decisions if they're going to try and retain gunnies longer, you know, mm-hmm. by offering bonuses. I don't know if they're going to promote faster. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But right now I'm in a position where I'm like, I've been doing a platoon sergeant thing for like eight years. Like, that's easy. Roger. There, yeah. There's no learning curve. I already know. And what? I know what the company expects or the larger echelon expects. I know school packages. I know it like life is easy. I can plan and implement training. Like Do you, We talked about this new initiative 
uh, a little bit in, in the experiment. Can you just basically give a rundown on that? Uh, on what the experiment is, let's say that. Essentially, the experiment is just force design and, and equipment fielding, trying to figure out like kind of what's the most lethal uh, combination and and uh, table of organization or experience to, to billet setup that we can build as a Marine Corps moving forward. Because I, the Marine Corps has run into, you know, an identity crisis over the last, you know, we'll call it like 60 years. Mm. Okay, where do we fall in? Because we're not an occupational force. We're not soft. We're not direct action. My opinion, we fall into that gray area between the two yeah. where where the U.S. Army is too big to fill in and soft is like, hey, we're, we're too small. We're direct action. We go in and we, we do, you know, dirty in things at night. Nobody sees it. Like, we're kind of that gray area is the way I see it. And moving forward, uh, trying to kind of retain our our amphibious roots, I think we're changing backwards in a good way. We're getting back to uh, expeditionary events based operations, so kind of the, the island hopping campaign from World War II, yep. those type concepts, but Beach for landing. different different reasons. But we're getting back to hey, like let's think littoral, let's think you know near you know near water, let's get out of hey, our we're called Marines, but we're used to working in the desert, like. That just seems like an oxymoron right there. Well, and I think, that the, I think with the, think with the, the writing seals. on the wall, and I'm not calling anything out, you know, geopolitical, but it doesn't take a genius to look at, uh, look across the, across the pond and look at what China has been doing, let's say for several years, but just in the, in the near, in the near past, everything from, you know, doubling their force size, adding new, new, you know, uh, carrier class uh, ships to their armies or to their navy, pushing their navy out into the South China Sea and marooning boats. Talking about taking Taiwan. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things going on with that side. And by the way, they're pouring re- uh, concrete into the ocean to make jump off island platforms. And that's just from open source. And that's all open source. That's not knowing anything <laughs> that you know that could be going on. Sne- you know, on on the sneakier side. And then it's like okay. And so for me, being out. And watching this evolution come in to the infantry and, and then the infantry's got their own evolution going to make themselves more lethal and, and have a better package. But the bigger Marine Corps in general saying, maybe the writing is that we're going to the Pacific again. Or maybe the writing is let's just be ready and we're not going to operate in deserts forever. And, and I think I, I think saying that we're going back to the Pacific is probably a little bit presumptuous, and I was thinking the same thing for a while. Mm. But I think the concept that we're really driving towards is the concept of distributed operations at a much lower level. We're pushing staff sergeants to be squad leaders, but we're tasking them as platoons. So we're now saying like, hey, we expect you to go out and function and operate as a you know, 13, 14 man squad as we used to have almost 40 guys in a platoon doing. Mm. So I need you to self-sustainment, and I'm giving you as a staff sergeant, you're maintaining the same responsibility and authority but with much less uh, of, of a power and a footprint, mm-hmm. I expect more out of you, and I think that's kind of where that's headed. Whether that's, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's a good start, especially with. But the, whether that's on an island, whether that's out in, a, you know, a jungle, whether shouldn't that's, matter. Whether that's in a desert, whether that's in Africa, whether that's in Australia, whatever. Like I'm making places up. Whether that's in goddamn Narnia, mm-hmm. like the intent is, hey, we're pushing responsibility downward. We're no longer. Putting, like you talked about, hey, sometimes I'll take the shot over leaving that moral, ethical obligation, you know, kind of mm. weird. In theory, we're saying, hey, like, I'm, I'm making up a scenario. Now we got a, a corporal with a, a ship to, or a short a ship missile 
sitting on an island trying to block a shipping lane and the ship rolls by where it's not supposed to, it's supposed to be off limits, and he potentially has the ability to start World War III and he has to make that decision. Kids, you know, what, 22, 23? Maybe. Does America like that decision? Probably not. Mm. Whether he's right or wrong, people are look at that and go, uh, now, hey, let's push it down. Now that's a sergeant, that's a staff sergeant. He's called 26, 28, 29, 30 years old. Maturity. Yep. And, it's, and it's not a stab at, a, at young NCOs. It's just a, nope. hey, let's take that obligation and that weight away from them a little bit and let's provide America kind of the the ability to say, hey, we, we can trust that. We can endorse like that your average 30-year-old average, hopefully now with, you know, let's call it 12 years experience. Just, you know, again, making numbers up. Let's call it a 30-year-old, 12 years experience in a profession of arms who's gone through multiple PME, who's gone through war fighting schools, who's done this, done that, and done tactical decision-making games. We trust that he's going to make the right call. Not, and again, not a stab at him, but a corporal who did an appointment, came back, got promoted, has been to unadvanced school, and we're throwing him into the fire going, hey, make a world-altering decision. Good luck. Go. Yeah. I, I like I like the the fundamental idea of it. And I, and because of what you said by doing that, yeah, it may feel weird in the transition because you maybe had somebody that was leading a team or a squad as a Lance corporal for the first time. And now you got staff sergeants leading these people. However, those staff sergeants are going to have far more on the ground experience, far more, um, like you said, formal schools, formal training, TDGs. They've done this stuff before and going back to, once you've done something once, the next time that you or the you know the following time that you experience a similar situation, you're infinitely better at it. That's talking about the same thing, and so now you're taking the maturity and the training level of the same people and moving it way up. Now combined, you have several years of this kind of experience. Exactly, I like that. I don't know how you sustain that in a wartime, and and that's the difficult part. And so that's where again, I we we, we you know. Uh, we smoke pit war game and all the time, you know, where we sit around and drink coffee and solve the Marine Corps and, the, and America's problems, but we don't actually take any action on it. We sit around the office and we crush black coffee and, you know, and we, we eat pop tarts that we stole from the field and, and we go, Hey, well, how do you, how do you maintain gunnies as platoon sergeants? We can't even get enough gunnies to be company gunnies. That's right that, now, that was right? my question. And so do we promote faster? That's one option that we've been like, Hey, well, yeah, but then you're getting away with the, t- the experience because you're promoting guys faster. Now he's the same guy. He's just getting paid more. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, I mean, the the best thing that I've thought of, uh, not that I thought of it, but that we've discussed and I was like, hey, that kind of makes sense, is offer retention bonuses later. Hey, you're a gunny? We'll give you 50K to stick around as a platoon star. Op four. And the guy goes, yep, worth it. Because he's going to stay anyway. Hey, I'll stay out to 22. I'll stay out to 23. I'll stay out to 24. Like, all right. Because we're trying to retain that, and it's worth it for the Marine Corps to say, rather than promoting somebody, we give you 50K lump sum right now. That's better than having to train somebody all the way back up from private to gunny over a period of 20 years to get that same experience or Mm -hmm. promote somebody faster and then negate that promotion. And promoting faster is a game that we tried before, and what you ended up with was a bunch of very, very, very junior in the Marine Corps individuals leading platoon size or larger elements and it's like are they ready to do that 
and and they've done fine. Yeah, they've done. But great, if you can but, make it better, it would be giving them the experience, right? And so that's exactly. what they're trying to do. And so again, I don't know how they're gonna. <coughs> There's smarter guys than me that get paid way more than me, sitting in nicer offices than I've got. And I'm sure they've thought of that. I'm sure they've got thought of people a thousand just things. sitting around thinking up shit. We probably got somebody <laughs> else sitting around thinking shit up about that. Yeah, they've got they've got smoke pit, you know, think tanks without oh, yeah. the smoke pit, and they actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hey, just do me a favor. Pick an intelligent one. That's all I ask. Pick pick yeah. a good one. Yeah, and and that's their job is to yeah. find the best one, and, and so that's. But there, there's. I'm excited yeah. about it because I'm excited about the way it's going to go. The changes with the infantry pipeline, how they're doing it, the weapons. Think, I'm think I'm about excited. some of the pipe hitters we still have in, mm. and just be like, "That's a platoon star right now." Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's younger. He's a squad leader right now. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like, yeah. think about some of these guys. And like, that's the way I think about it. Like, I like think that is a dangerous ass squad. Like, that is that's awesome. why I was, I was, I was over the moon when you were like, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a gunny, but I'm, I'm a platoon. You know, I'm a platoon. Leader. Awesome. <laughs> yes. The worst part about the infantry is that as you get promoted, you get away from the fight and away from the Marines. That's the worst part of it. The best, the best trick about this whole thing is, you know, the guys and we've all seen them and heard them. They're like, I was so good when I was a squad leader. Oh, I wish they'd give me a squad again. Yeah, yeah. I was a great team leader. I was a great platoon sergeant. Can't run a PFT now, in time. Now, literally, is the moment to go, prove it, because you're right. about to be one again. And that guy's like, oh, shit. And the guy's like, oh, man, uh, fires? <laughs> then you say it to somebody like you or me, and it's like, I... Again? Now? Oh, yes. I, was, I was psyched. Yes. People hit me up and they're like, hey, are you like upset that you're not going to be like the company officer? Fuck no. I was like, no, I'm not. I was like, I promise you guys, I'm I'm so psyched right now. I feel like, thank if you. If you change me, like, I'm if bad times are coming. Just leave me where I was. I was like, I'm, I'm genuinely, I was like, gentlemen, I'm so psyched right now. Like, I get to go be with Marines. I get to train Marines. I have responsibility. Like, and it's not just like, I'm over here like crushing out training, concept of operations, and confirmation briefs. I'm not just doing that. And yeah. like, you know, important things. I'm like, I get to go back and be on Marines? Like, I just spent all, all week out in the field being like, hey, get over here, guys. Hey, we're going to talk through, like, essentially CQB, like, shooting platforms. We're talking about indexing magazines. And, hey, here's your workspace. I'm like, this is fun. This is, this what, is like, it. This is, this it, is yeah. what I want to do. Like, yep. this is awesome. And I think that goes with every – I think that's in – it seems to me that it, from the podcasts and the different guys that I interview and talk to, that's in every branch and every little yeah. outfit. It's always like – the best time to ever be alive when you're when you're operating is right around that E five, leading either a large team or a small squad, and that's and that's the gravy. Here's one for you with this new force design. What do corporals do? Because sergeants are team leaders. Just get the fuck after it. They I guess they just get fucking dangerous. Yeah, I'm dude. like, oh Nasty. my god. I just thought about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is awesome. Like you're. Can you imagine having a team full of corporals, just like right. Pipe hitter corporals. And, and they're all school trained because <laughs> yeah, that's PME now. Yes. Oh. For all of you out there that are in the ranks and you're like, mm, change is bad. This is not bad. You will be, you have the propensity to be so much more lethal as an element because of these changes. So, hey, change is, change is not bad. Change is good. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes change can make you really uncomfortable. But sometimes the uncomforts that you feel ended up being the blessings in the end of that change. And sometimes we're just not too smart or zoomed out or scoped out enough to realize that these are good things. People don't like changes because it's unknown. That's it. Sure. Because you don't know how it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. People don't like changing units. They don't like getting in. They don't like getting out. They yep. don't like graduating. They don't yep. like because it's a change. It's yep. a milestone. Yep. Like, it's necessary. 
Yeah, I necessary. agree. I agree. I can't wait to see what comes of it. And uh, me, Matt, you, everybody, we all love the Marine Corps. We love the service. We love uh, what we did. We are proud of what we did. And uh, yeah, man, it's been a fucking good talk, dude. I knew it would oh, be. I oh, knew yeah. it would be when you confirmed with me. Uh, Whenever it was, I, I got up with you. I was like, yes. One, I get to see you again. I haven't seen you in six years. So it's, yeah, been, yeah, like it's been like six, catching yeah. up on, on the bro time. But also, uh, things need to be said. We're going to say I'm, I'm not restricted, restrained by anybody uh, you know, outside of the rules that they have on YouTube or Spotify. And I don't and come I'll close watch, to flirting I'll with watch that. what I say, but I'm also yeah. not a filtered guy. So. Yeah, well, I, don't, I think, we've, I think the, the time for being filtered yeah. is, is coming to a close. So people need to pass the knowledge they have and uh and that's what that the whole reason i started this or we started this was to be a conduit for information passing to the veteran and active community alike to try to if you help i told him we could record 100 episodes if we help one marine see something different or one serviceman or civilian see something in a better light or make a positive change then it's worth it and so uh on behalf of me matt for sure we appreciate you coming out and spending the time and you know, running the stories with us. And hopefully, you know, we can do this again in the future. Maybe we'll catch back up and see how things went, you know, as time progresses. But um, I greatly appreciate you being here and taking the time, man. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Matt, you got anything? Good to meet you. Enjoyed it. And uh, hope to see you further uh, in the future. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. All right, man. Appreciate you. All right. How we doing, everybody? This is the co-host of Choices Not Chances podcast, Matthew Charette. As mentioned in the beginning of the show, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. The folks at Louisiana Gun Shop have been a longtime supplier of firearms and shooting supplies and services, as well as very good friends of mine. One day, we will get the owner and founder, Harlan Boblet, on the show. At Louisiana Gun Shop, the sky is the limit when it comes to getting the firearms and accessories you want for your current or future firearms. They have a nice selection of handguns, rifles, and shotguns in stock or can order just about any firearm you could want or need. They specialize in concealed carry handguns and custom AR-15 builds. In addition to firearms, they also carry ammo, suppressors, optics, and a wide variety of gun parts for the upgrade and maintenance of your firearms. If you want to get further into the upgrade side of things, they provide customization services such as Cerakote, laser engraving, and Kydex holsters. So like I stated before, Louisiana Gun Shop is located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. It used to be Louisiana Gun Shop did not have an online presence. But now I am happy to announce that their website is up and ready for business for online sales to all 50 states at louisianagunshop.com. Louisiana Gun Shop also offers Louisiana residents concealed carry classes for a very reasonable price. Harlan's experience in the concealed carry space when it comes to the laws and the do's and the don'ts is pivotal in attaining your Louisiana concealed carry license. As well as the firearm market, Harlan also conducts explosive training for Louisiana blasters licenses for oil field and special effects workers in Louisiana. Workers in these fields from out of state will also need to have their training in this field to complete their work in Louisiana. So whether you need a firearm, upgrade your old firearm, 
targets and ammo for a range day, or you just like to talk to people who support the Second Amendment, Louisiana Gun Shop is your place, either in person or online. Remember, they are located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette, or online at louisianagunshop.com. You can also follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Louisiana Gun Shop. A special thanks to Harlan and Jenny at Louisiana Gun Shop for sponsoring the show. Please support them so they can support us and keep the podcast free for all. Thanks. Have a great day. Semper Fi and God bless America. Not too far. You're marking the building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's a funny. Yeah. Funny.